Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, February 9, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Steve. Good, uh, hello. <laughs> Steve. Good morning, Roy. <laughs> Roy. Good good. Good morning. I am not senile. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going. I am not senile. <laughs> good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Rev. <laughs> good morning. Having fun at the president's expense. At least you can call me the president of Mexico. That's that's risky business. I mean that that is mm. risky business to um to call out the president of the United States. It was a crazy day yesterday in American politics. If you can't host a radio show today, you need to find another job. I mean, in all honesty, I'm thinking about the um I mean, I listened in my truck for 30, 40, 50 minutes to the um verbal arguments in the Supreme Court. That's got to be the biggest story of the day, right? <laughs> I mean, the Supreme Court is hearing a state's argument of whether to leave someone on the ballot or or they can take them off. That's got to be the biggest story. It can't be a bigger story. And all of a sudden, this Robert Hur special counsel report drops, and that may be a bigger story than whether Colorado can take Donald Trump off the ballot or not. And then Vladimir Putin sits down with Tucker Carlson. Uh, didn't drop at exactly 6. It was a little after 6 when it dropped when I found it. It was a little after six and Vladimir Putin gave the most fascinating account of over 500 yards of Eastern European history that I've ever heard over a thousand. But I mean, you're right. But, but the, the 500 that really led to the point of where you're right over a thousand years, but the 500 years that, that he believes uh, defend mother Russia. I mean, is that, is that fair? Yeah. Over the last 500 right. years. Mother Russia. I mean, that's what he believes in. That's what he ascribes to. That's what he, um, here's what, here's what the title of today's show is. You ready? We all better be damn glad the cold war is over. Right. I mean, it, it is so unbelievably it, it kinda, contrasting. It illustrated a point you made earlier this week about, you know, who, who is the better person in charge? Not talking about policies and ideas, but just who's the more competent person. Well, I mean, I got two words. You ready? Um, did Vladimir Putin exude any symbols of weakness? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, incompetence. Nope. No, 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 no. Corruption. Eh. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> maybe a little of that. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little corruption over the, uh, in mother Russia, but weakness and, and incompetence, none, zero. I mean, there was not a, there was not a smidgen, <laughs> to use an Obama word. There was not, um, an inkling of weakness or incompetence in his, what, 20-minute dissertation explaining. I mean, he basically said, Tucker, do you want to do a, a talk show or an interview? Now, he's got a translator, but but it's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I'm not defending Putin. I mean, I still think he's a thug. I still think he's a dictator. I, think, I still think he's a bad actor on the world stage, but he's a leader. I mean, he's a leader. He believes in something, and he's not afraid to defend what he believes. And he's very calculating. He's very competent. He's very diligent. He's very smart, extremely bright, and and laid out an account of why they feel. In essence, what Putin feels is that Russia, and I'm paraphrasing, but we don't have two hours. What Putin feels, and Josh, jump in, Rev, jump in. What, what I was led to believe, and I don't want to get into the weeds about who said what and Clinton said this and, you know, George W. said this and the old man said that. I mean, he talked a lot. Fascinating conversations he had with Clinton. Fascinating conversations he had with George W. and H.W. Bush. 
fascinating conversations about Ukraine's sovereignty or not, uh, uh, the denazification of Ukraine. I mean, it was just fascinating, his understanding and grasp of history. I mean, that, that was unbelievable to me. I mean, I always knew the guy had to be bright. I mean, you don't make it like he has. You don't come up through the ranks of the ranks he came up through by being dumb and lazy. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, you don't make it there being dumb and lazy. I mean, this isn't the royal family, right? I mean, it didn't Prince Vladimir Putin or King Vladimir Putin. I mean, he had to work, and he had to do some things that I'm sure you and I would find unsavory. But competence and, 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 and you know, being weak or not, I mean, it, it's clear. He is a competent, competent man. There is not many signs of weakness. Um, you know, what, what is the old, does, the, does he have a soul? I don't know. Got a brain. He's got a brain. I can assure you with that. And, 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 a, and Josh and, and Rev, my takeaway, and, and if you said, okay, uh, in the beginning, what, what happened? Okay, forget the 1,000 years, the 500 years. To me, Vladimir Putin believes, similar to what we've talked about for the last year, that the, the United States post-Second World War military-industrial complex, well, the empire, I mean, the American empire, that's a better way to say it, did not want a big, strong nation as its rival. I mean, it wanted to be a monolith. It wanted to be um, unanimous in its in its sovereignty over the world. I mean, it, you know, it was the. I mean, we were the you know the, the the cat's meow, so to speak. I mean, we saved the day. We defeated, or we had a big hand in defeating, um, you know, Adolf Hitler, and out of that came the American century, right? I mean, I think we'll all agree we've all, and that's why I know I won the ovarian lottery. I mean, just say this out loud. I'm an American who grew up in the American century. I mean, that's a pretty good starting point, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if I've enjoyed a better than average quality of life, is that me or is that the century of which I grew up in? I grew, I'm an American growing up in the American century. That's quite the advantage. And thank God for those heroic men and women from the Allied forces who stood up to Hitler and defeated Adolf Hitler, because the world would be fundamentally different. I've never denied that. But Putin believes that once things began sorting themselves out, America made its mind up that anybody who reared its head as a potential geopolitical adversary, a big nation with a lot of assets and resources, and and the the burning desire to be relevant, they were going to be dealt with accordingly. I mean, that that's kind of my, my takeaway. I didn't know much of Eastern European history. I knew a little bit. I mean, I knew there's some questions about sovereignty of Ukraine or not of the former Soviet Union. Um, I mean, I don't think people understand how big a part Russia played in the win of the Second World War. I mean, I think there was one Russian city that lost over a million Russian men. I mean, just think of that. One Russian city lost over a million Russian men. I mean, it was barbaric. It was brutal. It was ruthless. And and we were on the Russians' team. The Russians were on our team. We were the allies. We supplied a lot of the um, the enforcements, and we did a lot of the um, the work that needed to be done to defeat uh, Hitler. But but I just, Josh, I'm on to something there. I mean, is that conceptually, I mean, you know, there are a lot of debates on the periphery, but conceptually, Putin led me to believe that he has never given forgiven America for everything they've done 
by basically trying to stop or tamp down or defeat any nation that wants to rise up and be somewhat of a superpower. Yeah, 100%. And But the thing is, is my my thoughts on Putin and Russia for my entire, well, not my entire life, but especially before and certainly after the Ukraine war started, was that America and whoever's in charge, which Putin insinuated it's not the president, which I believe, uh, that they never got over the Cold War. And I think that post-Cold, uh, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, I do believe that, of course, you know, it's not a completely different state. It's not brand new people that came in and started Russia, but it is a new, we have to think of it as a reset. And I think that Putin, you know, they are. He doesn't think we did. He doesn't think we we did. He still thinks we look at Russia as the former Soviet Union. And he has every reason to believe that because I believe we do. I mean, you hear some of the people that, I mean, no offense, they call into the show and they and they act like it's the 60s still. They act like Putin and Russia is is the worst thing on the on the planet. But you didn't grow up in the era of the Soviet Union. Which I you think. Didn't, you didn't, you weren't 18, 17, 16 years old like I was back in the day, digital media, excuse me, print media mattered. And I read the paper. For whatever reason, I was a weirdo as a kid. I mean, I even read the paper. I read the sports section. I read the headlines. I read the classified A. I mean, I read all that. I don't know. I've just always had this busy head. want to know a little more. want to be a little smarter. I want to be conversational about things that maybe there's some chick that wanted to know about the Cold War. And I wanted to make sure I had that in my pocket. You know what I mean? <laughs> that um, was your thing. I mean, that's weird. I know it's weird, but it was, I mean, I read about it. But Josh, you, you when you talk about these people who call in and act like it's the 60s, I don't think you can grasp how influenced we were by that cold oh, yeah. war. You remember the civil defense drills? Sure. I mean, it, and we, the sirens. We were crazy enough to put books over our head, yep. Josh, in halls of schoolrooms or halls, you know, where, where the schools were. They'd carry us in the hall, and we'd put a book over our head in case someone dropped a nuclear bomb. Make sure you get that real thick economics book there, Mr. Ard. Uh, we'll right. probably do a better job of sheltering you from that nuclear blast. But that was a part of us. You know what I mean? It was like, I remember waking up, Josh, on some mornings and reading an article. I mean, it was the sports I was most interested in, but I would I would read the front pages and I'd read some other things, but I'd read the front page. And I remember one, I mean, I remember like it's yesterday. I don't know what day it was, I don't know what year it was, but I can remember reading an article from the Pentagon that Russia had 2,712 nuclear warheads. And we had 2,411 nuclear warheads. And I'm going like, well, man, we got to build 300. I mean, we got to build 300 before Friday. I mean, they, they've got more than we do. And I don't know if that economics book's going to save my life or not. I think it's crazy now to believe that. But that's hard to shake. I mean, that's Which hard I, for baby boomers to kind of, uh, once again, switch on the wall, right? We wish there were a switch on the wall that we could turn off what's wrong and what's right and turn it back on and turn it back. But we can't. I mean, we evolve. We transition. And I think my generation, I mean, I'm technically last year the baby boomer. We were probably most affected by the Cold War and living and growing up and forming our, I don't know, political opinions and our, uh, you know, cultural opinions about ethnicities and religions and countries. And Eastern Europe was a certain way and Western Europe was another way. I'm not a historian. Uh, I've tried to teach myself enough history over the last 20 or 25 years. But I, I just think Putin believes, to your point, Josh, that America never looked at Russia differently than they did the Soviet Union, and that's unfair. 
I mean, that's totally unfair. And as he tried to negotiate with some of the American leaders, and he believes the CIA runs the country. I mean, Putin doesn't buy. I think, you know why I think Putin believes that? Because he knows the KGB ran the Soviet Union. I think it's natural for him to believe that. But he was a KGB agent, and he knew that the KGB pretty much did the dirty work that needed to be done to advance the Soviet Union in whatever way possible. I mean, the president didn't need to do this. The parliament didn't need to do that. The KGB will do that. Somebody to be killed, KGB does that. Somebody to be taken care of, KGB does that. And I think Putin looks at the CIA. I think he kind of respects our CIA. Because I think if you said Putin, over or under, 10,000 people, CIA is killed or not. Mm, good question. I mean, I can answer on the KGB. I can't answer on the CIA. But I'm sure it's far more than most Americans think it is. It was just a fascinating a 20-minute at the beginning accounting of Eastern European history and then kind of a, I don't know, a, and I think Tucker did a great job of letting him speak. I mean, it, you, rarely do you, you hear a guy a like that ramble. I mean, very rarely do you hear a world leader just kind of ramble. And it was not filibustering. Tucker even said at the beginning, we were concerned this was going to be a filibuster. But it was obvious he believed in some of these things that he's talking about. He wanted us to understand, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't have any idea. This may be his Springsteen on Broadway. But he wanted us to understand the sentiment that he has and where it comes from and what it's about. I don't think Putin denies being ruthless. I don't think he would deny doing some unsavory things as part of the KGB. I think he believes he had to do some of those things. But but he was unbelievably competent, unbelievably brilliant in understanding the lay of the land. Um, and there was no weakness there. I mean, there was just no weakness. And then our guy is yelling at a reporter, I'm not senile. We better be glad that we ain't fighting the Cold War today because I'm afraid we'd lose. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Voice giving me some trouble this morning, and I don't have any idea why. It was perfect last night. Perfect. Well, perfect. I mean, I don't know. It ain't. Rez's voice is perfect. <laughs> no, Mine is well, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Mine is loud and proud. <laughs> Not quite as um as loud this morning. Just as Are proud. you talking louder than normal? Do you have I, some I energy? I, some, I, some Friday, day after, well, huge political events? Well, I mean, it's a big day. Friday. It's exciting to be on the, on the air, you know, talking about these circumstances that we find ourselves in you went to you went to break <clears throat> and you were referencing um biden yelling last night i'm not seeing now so here's what i thought and i didn't text you and ask you this question last night because i figured we just you know catch up on the radio and i was looking forward to your uh, analysis of uh the putin Expert interview analysis. yeah well yes of course that goes without saying right but uh, i'd rather you say but what is the chess move so last night biden which is so uncharacteristic i mean he doesn't give press conferences or interviews or anything anymore. Obviously, he can't handle them. So he comes out at night, arguably past his normal bedtime, and not only talks but answers questions, obviously has some faux pas to add to the pile, right? So what is the chess move? He has no choice there, Rev. It's a little bit like Haley having to go after Trump. But it, 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 there, there's all in every political existence— there, there are several moments that you must do things you really don't want to. Haley knows that long-term, if she's to be a, a part of the Republican Party, it's better to not criticize Trump or insult Trump. I mean, creating contrast, being subtle, 
I mean, that's one thing, but going after somebody is another. But but Nikki had no choice. I mean, if, if she wants to be the nominee, she either gets out and waits and kisses Trump's butt, or she goes after Trump. And she chose to not get out and kiss Trump's butt, but rather go after Donald Trump. To me, that's a fatal mistake. I mean, you're done once you do that. Um, when when the media began, and I'm talking about those who've covered Biden, and, 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 and shame on you, and I mean that sincerely, shame on the American political media for running interference for a guy that they know is cognitively unstable. I mean, they, they, they know that. But, but he had no choice. And, and Biden didn't make that decision. But I mean, that decision was made by uh, the, the, the Obama lights. You know, the, the, the acolytes of Barack Obama made that call requiring uh, Biden to go out. I mean, Biden's a puppet. I mean, I don't think anybody can argue or dispute that any longer. But he had no choice. Nikki has no choice but to go after Trump. When the news breaks in a special counsel, not a Fox News report, not some talk show host, you know, saying things about, but there was an official counting. Somebody sat down with Joe Biden for an extended period of time, and he couldn't remember any things. I mean, he couldn't remember, you know, when his son died. He couldn't remember where the Corvette was. He couldn't remember, you know, I mean, just just major events in his life that he had no comprehension. Remember when of. he was vice president. But I mean, that, that, that's what I'm saying. So, so once that news broke, he's got to address it in some way, shape, or form. And the only person that can convince the American people that Joe Biden is not in serious cognitive decline is Joe Biden. But it's almost like Greg Maddox in his best day. I mean, let's use a baseball analogy. Catchers and pitchers report soon. Greg, Ma- yes. Greg Maddox in his best day could paint the corners. I mean, he could, you know, hour and 50-minute baseball game, six-hitter, you know, the Braves win five to one. We sent a million of those. But Maddox at 42 or three or four was not the same pitcher. But but what if they had told you, what if you were the GM of the New York Yankees and they told you that Greg Maddox had his location back, he's got that cut fastball back, he lost it six years ago because he got a little age on him, he's got all that back now. I mean, do you take their word on it, or do you want to see him work out? I mean, I mean do you, you want to yeah, watch Maddox run? Okay, I, I'd love to believe it. Prove I mean, it. Maddox's agent comes to you and says, hey, owner of the New York Yankees, Greg Maddox has found the fountain of youth. And he's all of a sudden, I mean, he's got that cut fastball back. The velocity's never been great, but it's as good as it's ever been. And he's, I mean, he's lights out. Remember Maddox of the Braves? That's the guy you're getting. Do you say, okay, I'll take you at your word. Here's the contract. Or do you say, hey, you think we get him in New York tomorrow, let him pitch some, let him throw some, let some of my scouts, my GM look yeah. at him and, and, and kind of give him once over? Biden is Greg Maddox. I mean, he had to throw yesterday, and he failed miserably. I mean, he made liars of everybody who's defended him. And you are a liar if you defend him. You are lying, I mean, lying to yourself, lying to the country, lying to – I mean, I understand Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, it's real. It's acute. It's, uh, it's rampant. But but how do you defend voting for that guy? Josh said something interesting a second ago, and and I'm not ashamed to say this. You give me a choice between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden, I'm taking Putin. I mean, it's hands. That's a no brainer for me. Hell yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Explain yourself, Josh. That's pretty emphatic. 
Well, I mean, you guys know I'm not as indoctrinated on democracy as you as you guys are. <laughs> well, uh, but I think, see, Josh, and I think that's unfair. I know, I'm, you, I'm being you don't understand how impactful our being raised in the Cold War was. I under yeah, well, I don't understand it because I didn't live through sure. it, but I get the okay. premise. Yeah, okay. So. My my opinion on it is is you know like what I've seen growing up is that our our democratic system is very stalled in the sense that nothing can get done because everyone's got to worry about being reelected and then someone comes in they make changes the next guy comes in and completely undoes them. I'm at a point where I think it it would be awesome if we had some guy come in and be the president for 25 years and and. I mean, look what Putin did in his time. He brought Russia out of, like, this depression after the Soviet Union fell, and now it's back to, what, the, like, 11th greatest economy on Earth? I think that's pretty awesome. Well, and, and, and Rev makes and, a point during the break. He's Russia first. Yeah. I, no, think, right. I, I think that's the infatuation that Putin has with Trump and Trump has with Putin. I think it's undeniable that Trump knows that everything Vladimir Putin does is going to be in Russia's best interest, Mother Russia's best interest. And and likewise, I think when Putin looks Trump in the eyes, he knows that Trump is going to do things in his nation's best interest. When he's dealing with the CIA or, you know, the, the cold warriors or the military industrial complex, I think Putin, what are these guys really up to? I mean, they're obviously not considering as a priority the interests of their people. I mean, they, they've got an empire. Now, I think if you gave Putin the chance to build an empire, he would. But poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. I mean, that's human nature, whether you speak Russian or, or American or English. Um, I mean, that's not some, that doesn't end at the county line. I mean, that, that's a pervasive human instinct that has been around since the beginning of time. But But I think there's this weird... Respect, and I saw it last night. I think there's this weird respect that Putin has for Trump and Trump has for Putin because they genuinely believe that both are committed to their nations, the general well-being of their country. They understand. I mean, Putin talked about trade partners. He talked about China. I don't know if you saw that or not, but he said, you know, America should be more afraid of China than they should. Oh, we're 150 million people. I mean, our economy can only do so much. It's 1.5 billion I mean, he knew America had 330 million people. I mean, he, the, the guy's so versed in, in what's happening around the world. But he said, why would America be as concerned about us when we're 150 million people? China's 1.5 billion. I mean, China's basically a dynasty waiting to happen. I mean, he talked about some of the trade that China's doing now and how they're outpacing the United States. And he basically said, I mean, he didn't say this, but he basically said, you know, we're ending the near, we're nearing the end of the American century. And we're all going to live in the Chinese century. You know, Josh, you'll live a lot of your life in the Chinese century. There won't be a, a line of demarcation, this side of the 50, that side of the 50, um, plus side of the field, negative side of the field. won't be that. I mean, it'll be very gray and, and ambiguous. But there will be a moment that a lot of Americans realize that we're not the preeminent superpower in the world any longer. It's now China. I mean, I don't think I live long enough to be affected. I probably live long enough to be aware of it. But I think I've got most of my horses in the barn by then. And I'm probably not as impacted as starting a business. You know what I mean? Trying to consider 
what what the next widget to come along that the world won't see is, and where does it need to be made, and how much money can you make, and what sort of investments am I thinking about? I mean, I, I think most of my horses will be in the barn by the time it's pretty clear that we've ended the American century and are now beginning kind of kind of a, a, a Chinese dominated economy. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine. Three seven is our number. I mean, we could spend an hour on this topic, an hour on the other topic, an hour on. I don't know that I've ever had, and my voice is giving out on me. That sucks. I don't know that I've ever had a morning where I am so intensely interested, and I hope you are, in these three issues. I mean, I'm kind of equally. The the Putin interview I knew would be fascinating, and I'm not a stooge. I mean, I'm not buying everything Vladimir Putin is no. saying. I mean, I, you know, I mean, but, but. Journalism requires a certain ethic. But it is refreshing to have, you know, what appears to be a real journalist, Tucker Carlson, you know, taking on a serious issue, talking to a serious world leader, and we get to see the interview, what appears to be unedited and unfiltered. Well, and, and That's Josh, refreshing. And Josh mentioned, I don't know if you saw this or not, it was very strategic the way Putin did it. He threw a little shade at Tucker. <laughs> When he talked about Tucker wanted to be in the CIA, CIA. <laughs> all that that was he's, awesome. Because he's talking about the case. He just said, "Well, I mean, I came up in the intelligence community in my country, and I understand that you kind of wanted to do the same in yours." He said, "Thank God <laughs> you didn't." Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, what did he mean by that? Yeah, the, the, I don't know, but yeah. it's just interesting. I mean, that, that's just a little shade at the blue blazer and the old bow tie, you know. And and uh, I don't. I just thought that was very but, very but interesting. He, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Here's what I I can't help but think about from yesterday because it was a monumental day in politics from the Supreme Court argument all the way to to I am not senile you know in in the White House <laughs> late last night um what is the chess move I mean if there's anything I, I've observed and I've learned from sitting here beside you all these years is you know there's there's so much more and so many other things going on and there's chess pieces being plotted all around this this board okay so we had we knew that the uh, Putin interview was coming. Well, unexpectedly, the special counsel report drops yesterday. Unexpectedly to us, the Putin thing drops. Biden's out there in a such an uncharacteristic time and fashion and form, doing what he's doing last night. I mean, what's the bigger picture? Well, here? Is, is there one? The big picture is to convince Americans Trump is unacceptable. That hadn't worked. Fail. Now, right. if you really want to go back to 2020 to rig an election, that's different than the election was stolen. Mm-hmm. Rigging an election is different than the election was stolen. When statewide office holders who don't have the authority to change the rules and regulations of how a state votes, that's rigging an election. I mean, technically, theoretically, hypothetically, uh, opinion-oriented, I mean, that's rigging an election. The legislature says this is how Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin to carry out their elections. And because of COVID, a statewide elected official who has no authority did it. That technically is rigging an election. Rev, you want to know the chessiest move of all? And it goes back to the beginning of the the the, the Trump phenomenon. I mean, he shocks the world in 16 and beats Hillary Clinton. They underestimated how many good old boys were out there, how many uneducated white voters there were out there. The 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 dirtiest of all dirty secrets in the Democrat Party and in the Republican establishment 
they are not sure they beat Trump in 20 and they can beat him again. I mean, they, they're, you know, they can say what they like. I mean, he lost the election fair and square. You know, Joe Biden got 81 million votes. He lost by six or seven million votes. Behind closed doors, I mean, they're, they're contemplating the energy that Trump has amassed. I talked to somebody yesterday um, in Washington, very familiar with the political world. You know what they told me? The Trump energy is more intense than it's ever been. Ever been. It's more intense. They're getting more inquiries from African-American males on how to vote in Republican primaries, historic numbers. I mean, they've never had this many African-American males. They're tracking some of this. Now, once again, does that translate into votes? I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea where it goes from there. But you're talking about chess. And to me, it all began in 2016 when Trump wins. Remember the New York Times covered it in the entertainment. I mean, how insulting is that to a Trump voter? But anyway, they got what they deserved. They rigged the election in 2020. Biden miraculously got 81 million votes. Trump went from 63 to 75 million. I mean, we talked about statistical anomalies. They know these as well as we do. I mean, they're thinking to themselves, Trump went from 63 to 75. He got the votes that people cast in person by 11 or 12 percentage points. The mail-in unsupervised ballots, he lost by about 12%. I mean, if I know that math, they know that math. So, so the game of chess, the first move is, can we beat Trump? Well, the, the be- we can't put Biden on a pedestal because he's not good enough on his best day, and he's certainly not good enough. So let's give CNN and MSNBC and the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, New York Times, their marching orders. I mean, they'll, they'll play along. They'll be complicit. And out of that came kind of a never-Trump movement, like anything we've ever seen. Romney's on board. Uh, you know, what's, what's uh, McCain's daughter? Uh, Megan McCain. Yeah, Megan McCain's on board. Liz Cheney is on board. Dick Cheney's on board. The Bushes are on board. I mean, everybody except the America Firsters are on, on board. And they still can't deny its thrust. They can't deny um, the energy. So once you decide, and then somebody behind closed doors decided, hey, we can't marginalize this guy with his people. I mean, he's still got a huge army. He's still got a loyal support, and it's getting bigger every day. We got to start talking about Biden a little bit. I mean, we, we impeached twice. We indicted 91 times. You know what we did? We made him stronger. I mean, they're scratching their heads. We impeached this cat twice. We've indicted him 91 times, and he's stronger than he's ever been. Putin says something to the effect of, you call my country bad, you've got a guy that went 77 years of his life, never broke a law, never charged with a crime, ran for public office, and the powers to be decided he hasn't been indicted. Now, I mean, imagine that, guys, the insanity of a guy living 77 years in a very controversial sort of way. I mean, Donald Trump's never been, you know, the normal business guy but he never was charged with a crime. I mean, I'm sure he had all kind of hearings and depositions and lawsuits and whatnot, civil. I mean, I'm, I'm sure of that. But Donald Trump has never been never been charged with a crime until he decided, you know, to peel in everybody's cornflakes. And now he's been indicted 91 times. But, but Rev, that's chess. Okay, let's, let's marginalize Trump. What do you do? You impeach. Didn't work. Impeach him again. Didn't work. Indict him. Indict him again. Indict him again and again and again and again. 91 times. I mean, I can say again and again and again, 91 times. And it didn't work. He's still formidable. He's still the odds-on favor to win the presidency. So now you got to say, hey, 
we, we got to put Biden out there in some way, shape, or form. And then this news breaks, you know, that Biden is an incompetent old man. I mean, imagine, I'll read it verbatim, guys. I mean, verbatim, here's what the, the special counsel report says. You ready? Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone from whom many jurors will want to identify reasonably with. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they, can, can, that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability. Mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability. He's not running, with all due respect, the car wash. He may or may not burn the hamburger. This guy is in control of every nuclear weapon the U.S. has at its avail. Stew on that for a second. I'm at a special counsel report, not, not a radio show, says he lacks the mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability to stand trial. He committed a crime, but he's incompetent. He can't stand trial. I mean, a jury would not convict him, that they would have sympathy for him because he doesn't have a mental state of willfulness. He doesn't have cognitive stability. And by law, this cat is in control of the largest fleet of nuclear weapons in the world. And there are still morons that have such a severe case of Trump derangement syndrome, they'll vote for him again. You're as dangerous as he is. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Apologize for my voice. I mean, I got no idea. It was, I mean, I'd say perfect. It's never perfect, but it was good yesterday. Still Southern, but I'm struggling with it a bit I went into uh, this the, morning. I went into the, the kitchen here at the radio station, and I found some honey. I found some lemon juice, and I found some bourbon. Yeah. I left it on the counter for you. I can, um, I can pace myself with the lemon juice and honey. I'm not sure I could pace myself with the bourbon. <laughs> We, we may by nine be doing a drunk radio show. I don't know. Let's go to the phone. I don't, know if, it, I don't know if it surprised anybody that I found bourbon in the radio station. Uh, that's a whole other story. You, you've convinced me that's kind of the way <laughs> radio stations roll. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, think about this. The Democrats love Putin as long as he served their purpose. Uh, the the money that that was funneled from Russia to the Biden family, the uh, Uranium One, uh, the dossier, all that was appreciated. But now they hate them because they want money for Ukraine, right? All right. Uh, I want you to take note that I'm predicting this, and if I'm wrong, I'll call you back one day and apologize. I do believe that what happened yesterday with Hurd's report is the fact that they will say in the next four, five months that Joe has had a heart attack or a stroke, and it was all the mean Republicans' fault for investigating him and his family. So they're going to play the victim card, and uh, it will all be just shoved under the road, you know? Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. You know, someone texted me a second ago and said, you know that if you said critical things about Putin, because I think Putin's a mixed bag. I mean, he, uh, 
I always suspected him to be smart and competent. I mean, you don't make it to the place he made it. I mean, that that is truly survival of the fittest, I got to believe. Uh, you know, the smartest and brightest and most competent and most dedicated, um, you know, uh, what, what am I trying to uh, Corrupt. I mean, that's probably a fair word. I mean, the most corrupt person probably rises to the highest ranks and levels within their government. But someone said, uh, someone texted me a second ago and said, you know some of those criticisms you levied against Vladimir Putin would get you censored in Russia. I don't have to go to Russia. <laughs> I mean, I'll assure you with that. I mean, about half of what I say is censored pre-Elon. I mean, Elon's oh, been true. kind of a liberator. Yeah. But other than that, everything I put on Facebook, other than wishing my daughter a happy birthday or my wife a happy anniversary, I mean, I'm sure of that. I mean, it's kind of labeled, it's content moderated. I mean, I know that. They're, I mean, Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods or, I mean, I think Google now includes um, Chick-fil-A as one of these scary words. Oh, wow. Yeah, if Google finds Chick-fil-A in one of your in one of your searches, they, they consider you to be a you know uh, um, an enemy to the empire, so to speak. So Cabela's, Dick's Sporting Goods, why? They sell guns. There might be some good old boys pricing guns at Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods. And then Chick-fil-A, you may be a Christian. You may want to support a business that closes and respects the Sabbath. So you've got to be dealt with. So don't talk to me about censorship. I don't need to go to Moscow to be shut down. <laughs> Welcome to the modern good old U.S. of A. Take a break. Back in a few. This is the I am not senile edition of Wake Up Carolina. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you're president and you're trying to convince Americans you aren't senile. I know. You're not talking about border security, Ukrainian funding, or Israeli funding, or taxes or debt you're talking about convincing the american public in an election year that i am not senile therefore i deserve your vote you know the travesty for half the country that's good enough he's not trump and that's say wow i mean as crazy as that is you're equally as crazy to have trump derangement syndrome uh, to that extreme there was another story yesterday that i thought early in the day rev would be the biggest story and I thought it would be um, the Supreme Court hearing on whether or not the state of Colorado could take Donald Trump off the ballot. They did. Their Supreme Court agreed with that rendering or decision. And now the U.S. Supreme Court is weighing in. We have with us this morning former special assistant to President Trump, America First Policy Institute, Chief Communications Director Mark Lauder. Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm not a lawyer, but it looked like some of the lawyers pleading the case to take Trump off the ballot, had a rough go of it. What say you, sir? Uh, absolutely. Look, yesterday was a no-good, very bad day for Joe Biden. I mean, when even the liberal Supreme Court justices are questioning Colorado and Maine's decision to take Donald Trump off the ballot, you know you're having a bad day. And then, of course, the special counsel report just, you know, just put a nail in it last night. Mark, what did you think the most compelling argument was? To me... It was when, I think it might have been Gorsuch. Gorsuch basically the old slippery slope argument. So you really want to go down this road of allowing states to determine when a candidate can be on a national election ballot or not. To me, that was a, a compelling moment. Uh, that was very compelling. I think what was even worse was when liberal justice, I think it was Elena Kagan, basically said this seems like a national issue that no state should be able to make this issue and then, of course, there's the very obvious point. Again, I'm not a lawyer either. I just play one on TV uh, that said that Donald Trump hasn't even been charged with insurrection, let alone convicted. 
if Trump gets a favorable ruling in this case, that puts to bed whether he can be on the ballot in all these other states. But we still have other proceedings in Georgia. We still have a, a D.C. case. What do you make of this election year, including so many appearances Trump will make in a legal setting? I think it's basic election interference. I mean, you take a look at the fact that, you know, Donald Trump is facing criminal charges for the classified documents, which, by the way, he's legally allowed to have. Meanwhile, then Vice President Joe Biden is exonerated, and he didn't have the legal right to have those documents. You can take a look at the obviously the issues that are going on in Georgia, and that case has turned out to be a complete disaster uh, for multiple reasons. They know that they cannot beat Donald Trump at, at the ballot box because Joe Biden's record is horrible, whether it's inflation, gas prices, the border, the world is at war. Nothing is going well for Joe Biden. The only thing they can try to do is get him through the court system because they can't get him at the ballot box. Last question, and this is kind of off the beaten path. You're a former special assistant to President Trump. I'd be interested in your opinion. I'm not asking for a name, but what sort of person do you think and should Donald Trump be looking for as his running mate in November? Well, I've said this, and this is true about all both parties going back 40, 50 years. The vice presidential nominee fills a perceived need in the campaign of the president. Could be demographic to help it in a state, geographic with a certain subset of groups. It could be a policy area where the candidate might be considered weak. Uh, so what I would say is that, you know, you're making so many inroads with non-traditional Republican voters, whether it's black voters, Hispanic and Latino voters, whether it's obviously uh, suburban women voters. So I would think that the president would lean into one of those areas for his vice president. Not because it's going to put him over the top, but it's just going to support an already growing voter group. Well explained. Mark, thank you for your time, sir. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That's kind of an interesting perspective. Um, and we'll go to the second story of the day now. I mean, it's, it was a crazy day yesterday. I still think the biggest story, the most fascinating story is Putin. Because we don't see Putin that way. I mean, I, I would imagine that every interview Barbara Walters has ever done with Vladimir Putin, ABC vets it, the Kremlin vets it, you know, everybody's good to go. The guardrails are very close one to another. It seemed to me that Tucker had full discretion. I mean, I, I mean, Putin's a politician. You know, what is the cost of eggs in China? I don't know, but Russia, Mother Russia has been taken advantage of. I mean, all politicians, in whatever language you speak, they're going to do some of that deflection and self uh, you know, uh, self-promoting. I mean, that's just the nature of politics in general. Um, but I still believe the biggest story was the revelation that Joe Biden is not well. I mean, that, that there was a public announcement yesterday by a special counsel report, Robert Hurd, that basically said, this president's guilty of a crime, but I'm not sure he's competent to stand trial. I mean, Biden didn't plead temporary insanity. I mean, there's not a team of lawyers trying to get Joe Biden off the hook. I mean, this guy sat down with Joe Biden and basically, and I'm being very polite, he said he can't remember anything. I mean, he doesn't know where he was then. And he's not deflecting. I mean, some people deflect. I mean, I've been deposed. You deflect. I can't remember. Can't recall. I may have, may not have. Um, I mean, that's, you know, you answer the question. You don't volunteer a lot of other 
information. If anybody's ever been coached at a deposition, I mean that you know you answer the question with as few words as you possibly can, and if you're not 100% sure of the answer, you say, I can't recall. I can't remember. Um, I don't know. That's not what they're arguing, guys. I mean, once again, here is the verbiage in uh, the special counsel report. Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone from whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince the jury that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability. Uh, but that's their words, not mine. Um, his, the, the emphasis on his limitations to recall. The guy can't remember anything. And he's misnaming foreign leaders. I mean, he's talking about leaders that he had negotiations with since he's been sworn in, and they're dead. And they didn't die Thursday. But I mean, they've been dead since the 1990s, and it's getting worse and worse and worse every day. My theory is when he got elected, he had dementia. But I mean, there was some cognitive issue going on, and I'm diagnosing from afar, and I'm not a doctor. Take it for what it's worth. But it's my opinion. It's my opinion that when he was elected, that there was a serious issue. But, Reb, some of the, some of the cycles of medication. I think when they knew there was a public address to be made or a, a visit from a foreign dignitary, they could figure out, some physician could figure out the cycling of his medicine. I don't know how good he can be, but he's going to be the best he is going to be on these two days. You know, let's let's stagger the medicine. Let's stagger the treatment. Let's do whatever. Get him a lot of rest. That way, when he has to give a State of the Union address, he appears to be not quite as unstable as we know him um, to be. It's gotten so bad now you can't do that. I mean, there is no cycle of medication, cycle of treatment that can disguise the reality of we having a president, we have an American president today in serious, serious cognitive decline to the point where a special counsel says he's cognitively unstable. He lacks the, here I go again, he lacks the state, the mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability to stay in trial. But he has the, mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability to be in charge of the largest nuclear armament <laughs> in the history of mankind? Really? And, you're, and, you, and you'll vote for that. I mean, I'm talking to Biden voters. You're okay with that. I mean, you've made it emphatically clear that you're not okay with Trump. I respect that. I really do. I disagree with it, but I respect that. But in a binary choice, how in God's name do you rationalize that Trump is more dangerous than Biden? I mean, that, that's your issue, not, not mine. I mean, if, if you can't come to grips with Trump being a more competent and, and, and a more ready and willing man to do the job, Trump misspeaks. I misspeak. I don't think I'm in cognitive decline. I'm getting a little older. I speak a lot, four hours a day. I mean, I say things that, I mean, I think I said yesterday when Jim called in the Griggs case. Guess what I knew the second I said it? It was the Sims case. But I say a lot of words in four hours. But I don't think anybody questions my cognitive ability. I don't think Josh and Rev get together when I leave and say, hey, man, something's wrong with Ken. I mean, you know, he, he, he said Griggs and he meant Sims. You know, he said nine and he meant eight. He, he ran a little behind on the break. I mean, that, that, that's human nature. We all do things that way. I mean, we, we don't turn our signal lights on. We, 
you know, we forget our order. We forget a friend's name every now and then, especially when you, when you get a little bit older. But it's not who we are. I mean, it's not. That's who Biden is. He is an old man who committed a serious felony and is not going to be charged because the special counsel said they don't believe he's competent enough to stay in trial. And he's the president of the United States. And some of you hate Trump so much that you think that's okay. You're as dangerous as he is. Let's go to the phone. Here is Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. You're on. I will say this as politely as I can, but I am so disgusted with the majority. That's the only polite part, majority. The majority of Americans are, are so pathetic, weak, stupid, and naive, and our leaders are corrupt, and they're godless, and they're evil. And for the first time in my life, now I was naive and gullible years ago, but for the first time in my life, I looked at the leader of Russia and realized that he is smarter than our president and damn near everybody in our Congress and our Senate. Now, he is evil, but I'm telling you right now, he was telling us what we needed to do to get our country back on state, back on track, and he was basically saying, how stupid can y'all be? Y'all are intentionally destroying yourselves. Now, the guy that did the special counsel you've been talking about, did, did, did these people all of a sudden find uh, dignity and morality and then they all of a sudden decided they were going to follow the rule of law? Or was this a plan all along? And I don't think that that special counsel, he's probably a damn Democrat, Okay. So don't think that this guy's doing this because he just wants to do what's legally right. They they, they can't run Biden. They can't be that stupid. Okay? It, it, it would, I mean, they can't run the guy. And, and they don't think that that – and when you were saying they don't know that they won the last election, they know they didn't win it. They just got to figure out how to do what they did again. And then, you know, to show how utterly ridiculous, what a cloud show this country has become, you got lawyers arguing seriously in front of the United States Supreme Court over whether or not Trump did an insurrection. You know, now Trump, like you know, like the guy said the other day, or so I heard somebody say, and we've even said it, if Trump would have got over there, tried to get the military, because he was commander-in-chief, and then he told all Americans to grab their guns, grab their pitchforks, storm the Capitol, Killed every one of those SOBs and let's start a new government, we won't be having this conversation. But any moron knows what he did was not an insurrection. And even what happened at the Capitol was not an insurrection. There were no guns. The only person was shot was that lady. So we are a joke. We are a complete flipping joke. And it's no damn wonder the Chinese are, are whipping our butt and are going to whip our butt because we deserve it. We are pathetic. And it makes me want to vomit in my mouth every time I think about how pathetic this country has gotten. And maybe it always has been. I don't know. But I'll tell you one damn thing. It makes, I, I, that's all I could do not to throat punch 99% of the people I run into every day. And it amazes me, amazes me that some of my clients are as wealthy as they are. Is it just to be so damned stupid? Thank you, Breeze. 843-661-0937 takes Monday's. To make Fridays, got a little um, 
I left the bourbon out. Got a little lemon juice and honey that Rev gave me. And I think I may be healing here right before right. our very eyes. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning. Morning. Um, I heard y'all talking about uh, Putin, the Putin interview. I'm uh, an elderly person, and I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't uh, get it last night. I've got it this morning, and I'm going to watch it. But from what you said about it, uh, one thing jumped out at me. Uh, that the CIA runs the country more than the president does. And I think that is true. And, uh, you know, I can only recommend somebody read some histories of the CIA, like Legacy of Ashes, and you know, there's some other good ones out there, of what they have done and how these folks, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the leaders of the CIA over the years have been graduates of uh, the Ivy League universities, and these people thought that they knew what was best for the country, and the American people were stupid and ignorant, and so they had to do it in secret and manipulate us for our own good, of course. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a deep problem. It's not, we're not going to solve it just by electing Trump or, or in, my, in my case, Kennedy. I think Kennedy would be the best choice out there, but it's a uh, it's a deep thing, and it's not gonna not gonna be solved overnight, I guess. But we, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what Putin has to say, and uh, I'd recommend to anybody get educated, and like um, like Breeze was saying, we got to get educated. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Um, I'm not saying believe what Putin had to say. I listened yesterday and I was fascinated. I mean, I heard a world leader give a 20 minute articulation of the history of Eastern Europe. I've not heard an American president give a dissertation that serious in all of my life. I mean, there've been some capable of that. Uh, I'm a conservative. Bill Clinton would have probably been the most capable of that. Clinton had a grasp of history, an understanding of American dominance in the post-second world war world i'm not saying listen to putin and buy what he's selling but i think you'll find it unbelievably fascinating that media i've labeled tucker the media wild man of our time <laughs> makes his way to moscow and interviews someone who a lot of americans have a preconceived notion by shaped by some of the organized forces that may or may not be willing to tell you the truth speaking of putin um one of the central issues is our funding of ukraine the continuation of a war in a part of the world that there's a lot of uncertainty around. The Senate, I think, is more inclined to support foreign aid to Ukraine than the House. Fox News already goes, Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Um, Ryan, where are, we, where are we in the path forward regarding a foreign security package separate of border security? Right. So so yesterday they had a vote to end cloture and to invoke cloture. So they, they have passed the procedural vote and now they can begin debate 
on this foreign aid package. And right now it looks like Leader Schumer and Republicans are trying to work on an amendment process and what that's going to look like. But what we're expecting is for the Senate to likely be working here throughout the weekend, and we'll see where that goes. Ryan, is there any interest in separating even further Israel from Ukraine? There seems to be consensus in the Senate and House on additional funds for Israel. It looks a little more questionable with Ukraine. Fair? Yeah, yes, it certainly does, and I think that's a big debate that's going on right now. It doesn't seem like the Senate is that is that interested in doing that as House Republicans are. So I think where the Senate's going to try to get some conservative victories here is through the amendment process. One of the amendments we know that's being filed is a lift of, of President Biden's ban on LNG exports. So that might be one way that you see some conservatives come on board is if they're able to get that ban uh, lifted. And there's a number of other ones that they're going to try to get through that involve border security, but we still just don't know what the amendment process is going to totally look like right now. Good deal. Thank you, Ryan. Have a good day and weekend, sir. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You know, I misspoke yesterday, um, and Josh will be disappointed in me. I said yesterday that I would be a hard no under any circumstance for additional funding to Ukraine. I thought about that a little bit yesterday afternoon because I tried to rethink the show and, you know, where were our better moments? Where did we struggle? Where did we did we get all of our, you know, obligations in? I mean, I'm always thinking about how we can make it better, um, whether you believe that or not. Um, maybe it's not a reflection <laughs> on the product, but I think a lot about it. I don't know that we make it any better, but we think hard about trying to trying to make it better. But I said, Josh, no additional money for Ukraine under any circumstance, if I were a member of Congress, either in the Senate or the House. But I thought about one concession that could be made that I'd probably get on board with additional $60 billion to Ukraine. If the federal government would empower Texas and Arizona to secure their own border as they see fit, if the federal government would supply funding to states like Texas and Arizona to send these illegals to sanctuary cities, I would I would probably be on board with that trade. I mean, I, I I'm I'm <laughs> I'm adamantly I'm I'm adamantly opposed to additional funding for Ukraine, but I don't know if I'm as opposed to additional funding for Ukraine as I am supportive of Texas's right to defend their border yeah. as they see fit. A plan that would actually secure the border. And, and if Governor Abbott requested the federal government $5 billion in resources to secure his state border because the federal government <laughs> will not do it, I may be on board with that. I mean, I, some of these border states and give him the money to fly and bus some of the illegals they don't catch as they come across the border of Texas to send to these sanctuary cities and let the, the blue cities deal with it. I mean, let them make the best of it they can. If they're willing to kick families out of hotel rooms in the name of migrant housing, then have at it. You know, that's kind of the way states' rights apply. But it would take something like that for me to believe another $60 billion needs to be sent um, to Ukraine. Would you at least require a little accountability on that money to Ukraine, though? Hey, let's have the line item. Well, I mean, or would you just say that's, I, I that's would the ask trade? For that. I mean, I'd ask for I that. I got you. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about yesterday. You got to be careful about saying never. I mean, politics never is a long time. So someone asked yesterday or the day before. I said it. Someone asked me yesterday. So why does no the day before? Why does the House seem to reflect the will of the voter more than the Senate? 
And I said, because the cats in the house run every two years. They can't escape judgment for six years. They can't screw it up at the beginning of a term and make amends by the end and hope you forget, hope they do some cool things for the district, the state, the country. Those guys in the Senate, ladies in the, in the House, excuse me, guys and ladies in the House, I mean, they're always running. I mean, the voters are, are, are holding them accountable every two years. They're going to be more reflective of where the rank-and-file Republican voters are. That Senate, you get elected, and you can screw up two or three times early in your term and try to get in good graces and make amends uh, as time progresses. Let's go to the phone. Don in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Good morning, Ken. I just wanted to back up regarding Biden's mental capacity. I mean, we've watched it over the past three-plus years, but he's been in decline a while. And it just seems like the people around him, especially Jill, I mean, she's proposed to be an educated woman. I think, you know, exploitation or, you know, abuse even. I mean, the man is constantly going to hurt himself going up any stairs. Everybody holds their breath. I mean, he should be in a rocking chair with an Afghan across his lap. But, I mean, holding these people around him accountable has anybody ever threw that ball around? I mean, I, I've talked about it. I told Rev during the last break, if Joe Biden were my dad or my granddad, I would be yelling and screaming at my mom or grandmom about he doesn't need to be embarrassed this way. I mean, he's been a, a senator for a long time. Think of the call. He's been a, a statesman. He's a, he's a president, and he's embarrassing himself. And he's not able to do the job. I mean, how much more revelations do we need? I mean, you saw what we saw yesterday. He yelled basically at someone, I'm not senile. And he, and he, I think Peter Ducey, he said something about, you know, my memory's good enough to call on you to ask a quote. What? That's not coherent. I mean, what does that even mean? And then he's bringing up meetings he's had recently with people who died in the 1990s. But he had issues when we elected him in 2020. That's why he didn't run a vigorous campaign. I mean, the Obama acolytes won the election for Joe Biden. Stay out, stay in the basement. Trump will say enough crazy things to alienate certain independent voters, and we'll turn out voters. I mean, we'll invest heavily in some of these turnout machines. The, the, the question that I, that I pose to myself is how much were the Democrats surprised caught off guard or not at how successful the American for civic, civic the American tech and civic life group was in deploying the uh, the Zuckerberg assets did it go off as planned I don't know if you saw this or not I mean this is a bad analogy or comparison but I'll use it anyway um there was a moment after 9/11 a private video showing Osama bin Laden celebrating about the World Trade Center's falling. And in the video, he says, we honestly didn't believe they'd fall. We did better than we even imagined. I mean, sure, we meant to kill innocent people in the name of Allah. And, and we don't apologize. I mean, we think the, the United States is the, um, you know, the worst infidels of all the infidels. And the celebration of Western cultures, contrary to the Muslim faith and fanatical Islam, will defeat, you know, um, woke Western values. Um, but in that video, he kind of like, wow, I mean, the, you know, this thing, I mean, those buildings actually fail. And we had no idea that would happen. 
I mean, we knew it would be a traumatic event. We knew it would be terrorism in its truest sense, but we didn't think the buildings would fall. I mean, I wonder if Axelrod and Carvel and Obama and Susan Rice didn't have a conference call one day and say, damn, it worked. 81 million? Did we even believe 450 million invested in the, I mean, it's basically the private financing of public elections. I mean, that, that's what it was. And it was not in political action committees, not in traditional campaign contributions, but rather buying vans and systematically making sure people who don't vote, vote. Whether they filled out their own ballot or not, we'll never know. We will ne- unsupervised mail-in ballots. But I still wonder if at some moment in time, they got together at Starbucks with a latte, and like Obama did, said, it's they went better than we thought it did. I mean, we never imagined 81 million. We knew Trump would be tough to beat because he's bringing all these new voters. And he went from 60, what, 3 to 75 million. I mean, there's no doubt he brought in a lot of new voters, still bringing in enormous amounts of new voters. But I just, I just wonder if there was a moment that the Susan Rice, Barack Obama, David Axelrod trifecta got together and said, <laughs> this thing did better than we ever imagined we did. Send Zuckerberg a, a gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse as if he needs it. Um, because that $450 million really, really paid great dividends. Let's go to the phone, and then we'll take our break. Rujan in Darlington, good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey, listen, you know, it's kind of funny that, that you know, it takes a while, but sometimes it seems like history repeats itself. I, I, I got a name for you. Uh, Edith Bowling Wilson. Uh, when Woodrow Wilson had a stroke and was incapacitated, she basically ran the White House. I mean, she basically made sure that everything was taken care of. She was the uh, she was the the, the the bully that had the bully pulpit, and she was the one that was going to make sure everything ran fine. And I see the same thing in Joe Biden. I see the same exact thing in Joe Biden. Unlike Wilson, Biden is up and you know he can he can ambulate, but uh, the rest of these folks, you know, with Wilson, it, it, he was just basically incapacitated by his stroke. But but these guys, you know, they're they're they're, they're just they're just you know kind of kind of different. They're just kind of different. I, I just I just don't see how they're going to let this guy stand up there and basically be humiliated, you know, because you know he he, he can function. However, you know, uh, to the capacity he needs to, he can't. So I mean, how long are they going to stand and, and let this you know the circus go on? Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate it. And that's the biggest story of the day. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced. Driving over this morning, I'm thinking about the fascinating interview Tucker had with Putin. We're asking for additional funds for Ukraine. I mean, there, there's some synergies there. You've got the Supreme Court. I mean, when is the Supreme Court hearing about a state trying to take a presidential candidate off the ballot? Not the biggest story. <laughs> it's, it's like the third or fourth story. I mean, if you failed at conservative talk radio Yesterday. today... <laughs> You need to go get a job with Uber. I mean, you, you, you're not cut out for this. If you can't, and maybe I end up with a job at Uber. Take a break. Back in a few moments. And the biggest news of the day and weekend, it was um, revealed that Lady Gamecock basketball player Cardosa will not be playing the game Sunday against UConn because she's playing for some national qualifying team from her native country to be in the Olympics. So, yes. Oh. So, yes, we've got a Supreme Court hearing, an interview with a foreign dictator, 
uh, an incoherent president. But we've also, let's not forget how important women's basketball is. And Camila Cordova may or may not be available <laughs> for the game against See, UConn. I'm glad we have you to keep us up on the breaking yeah, news yeah, there. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's UConn Gamecock Women's Basketball <laughs> Sunday. Let's go to the phone. Barry in Shaw. Good morning. Barry, are you there? Okay. okay. Hey, are you there? Hey. Just, oh, barely. Are you on speakerphone? He must be in the other yeah. room if he is. All right. Okay, we'll let's to, go to the other. We'll, we'll go to another uh, call. The, yep, Charles and Lamar. Hey, Charles. Good morning. And uh, and I do have a quarter about the women's basketball, so here's a quarter called someone who cares. Um, <laughs> Come on, Charles. The, uh, Gino and Dawn. Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I saw. I seem like I saw that it's a sellout, and they want fifteen hundred for the tickets online or something like that. I, I, uh, I swear, I just can't imagine that. <laughs> anyway, um, life goes on. Life goes on. Hey, um, Twitter and CNN and the View and Hillary have all determined that Tucker Carlson is a is a traitor. In fact, one of the people on CNN asked the question, is it even legal for him to go to Russia? So that tells you just how bright and intelligent those people are. It's pretty amazing to me that their own reporter at CNN, Peter Arnett, back in the uh, Desert Shield days of the early 90s, was on CNN every single damn day praising uh, Saddam Hussein. Our glorious leader, Saturday Night Live, even made a skit about it and joked about CNN's, uh, uh, you know, star reporter Peter Arnett praising Saddam Hussein when he was invading Kuwait. And then Dan Rather goes over and interviews Saddam Hussein, and he's a hero. He was just a damn hero because he went over there. He was so brave. And he interviewed Saddam Hussein. Now we have Tucker Carlson doing a genuine news interview and gives a guy a half hour to talk about European history, which he knew like the back of his hand, and then uh, expressed himself very eloquently, whether you agree with him or not. But, But Tucker, all of a sudden, is a traitor. And that's just the way these these people think. Um, To follow up on something that Daphne said in her call earlier, I agree 100%. There's going to be some kind of health issue, whether it's real or imagined, that's about to come up because they know they cannot allow this guy to be on the ballot against Donald Trump on November 5th. It's just that we're going to see something – come out there but anyway hope y'all have a great weekend i enjoy your show and uh, go tigers thank you charles appreciate <laughs> that yeah gamecocks and tigers find themselves in a weird and unusual predicament you actually need to be pulling for one another i mean the net rankings are so complicated i can't make heads or tails you win and go down you lose and go up i mean that doesn't make any sense to me but there's some really smart people who understand algorithms and metrics and measures and they're um, I mean, the Gamecocks need Clemson to be a good loss, and Clemson needs South Carolina to be a good win. I mean, it has a lot to do with your seedings. I think both will make 
the NCAA tournament, but but where you are seated, quad one win, quad one loss, road win. I mean, it's a big, and I think right now, Clemson and Alabama would be the best Gamecock losses. And South Carolina may be, well, North Carolina. The Carolinas would be the two best Clemson wins, one over North Carolina in Chapel Hill, the other over South Carolina in um in Columbia. I mean, excuse me, in Clemson. But I want to say this. Let's go. Let's go to the top, Josh. Um, the only encouragement I can give, and I told Rev, it's interesting. Charles said about Twitter. I told Rev the liberals have deployed. I mean, they, they, it's all hands on deck. I mean, they have. Wait a minute. I, mean, I thought they all left Twitter. Once I mean, Elon. Well, they know Twitter matters. Twitter. I mean, they know how much traffic's oh. on Twitter and how many people get their information and news from I Twitter. See how that works. But I mean, they they they're all hands on deck. I mean, they they have. There's been a call to action in liberal America, and they know how to answer the bell, and they've answered the bell, and right now they're dominating some of the um, some of the narrative on Twitter. My, my optimism is based in a belief I have that conventional wisdom won't hold. I mean, I, establishment integrity is based on controlling the narrative. Controlling the narrative is based on a belief in the you know, the, what is, what have we always been told? What have we always been taught? Conventional wisdom and conventional wisdom begins to, and people begin to question conventional wisdom. Putin's bad. Biden's good. I don't know, man. I mean, I saw a guy very coherent, very smart, very understanding. I'm not saying I agree with what he said, but he's not weak. He's not incompetent. He's probably corrupt, but in that position, who's not, but I think conventional wisdom has historically convinced Americans to believe this preconceived narrative, and that has led to establishment integrity. And once establishment, once conventional wisdom, once the once the media narrative is not controlled by six or eight news outlets, all of a sudden Josh hears people who think like he thinks. I mean, if CBS, ABC, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post control the narrative, Josh's opinions are extreme. And Josh believes his opinions are extreme. And Josh kind of keeps his opinions to himself. But all of a sudden, the media gets decentralized. And Josh hears from another million people who think what he thinks. And Josh goes, I don't know if my opinion is that out of the mainstream or not. I mean, I don't know if that conspiracy theory is that bizarre or not. The the decentralization of media has led to the establishment losing its integrity and people not buying into the conventional wisdom. And and that's where we are. And I don't think you put that genie back in the bottle. I just don't think there's a way to go back and say, hey, you folks, I mean, conventional wisdom had a bad run. You know, the centralized media had a bad run. Control of the narrative had a bad run. But we're sorry. We want to get back in the business of controlling the narrative and conventional wisdom. I'm a conventional wisdom historically has said, and, I, and I'll admit to you, I mean, I'm guilty, Josh. I'm as guilty as, as there can be. Putin's bad. Our guy's good. Russia's evil. We're good. I don't buy that anymore. I just don't buy that anymore. And I'm not the only one. I, I didn't say Putin. I didn't say I want to live in Russia. I didn't say I want to make a campaign contribution to Vladimir because Putin. It, that sounds unpatriotic But it to does. Say. Certainly it does. But it sounds smart. Blind faith in leaders will get you killed. And, and for whatever reason, half of America has such a blind faith. And I get it. We went into a, a great 
detail yesterday about why smart people believe conventional wisdom. It's in their best interest. I mean, when the people built the machine, they didn't leave a lot of things out. They knew there would be smart people that didn't believe the machine should have this much control. But if you're benefiting and your livelihood and, and, and beach house is predicated on the conventional wisdom being, you know, the kind of the controlling narrative, I'm not upsetting that apple cart. I mean, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. But my livelihood depends on it. And we use physicians as an example. There's no way that there weren't more doctors that had serious questions about the efficacy of the vaccine, the safetiness of the vaccine. How many spoke out? Very few. Why? Because <laughs> conventional wisdom says we're kind of all in this thing together. And the medical community has decided we're going this way. You don't want to go that way. That way means the unemployment line. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I don't want to know what's bothering you, right? <laughs> I mean, this is therapy for me. I want oh, yeah. you to know what's bothering me, yeah. not me to know what uh, what is bothering you. So we've talked a lot this morning so far about the uh, the major events. When is a Supreme Court hearing that includes whether or not a presidential candidate can be on the ballot, not the biggest news story of the day. It may be the third most fascinating story. Um, the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin is fascinating. I didn't say trust him. I didn't say vote for him. I didn't say make a campaign contribution. But his 500, his accounting of the 500 years of Eastern Europe history proves to me he ain't nobody's fool. I never thought that, but he is well aware of the of the world around him and the historical consequence of Russia. And then you've got, I am not senile. <laughs> I am not senile. Um, that's the, that's got, I guess, the benchmark. But the two most important stories of the week, as far as I'm concerned, is the Cardoza woman not being able to play against UConn, the biggest <laughs> sporting event on Sunday. Forget the Super Bowl. Got Gamecocks and, and, and Lady, what, what is UConn? The Huskies. The Lady Huskies and Lady Gamecocks. But even bigger than that is the Hannah Pamplico State champions made their way to the, the softball girls softball team made their way to the state house this week to be celebrated and commemorated by the powers to be in that auspicious building, Mr. Lowe. Well, you finally have your priorities straight there because <laughs> I was proud to see him up there yesterday, you know. The first time Hannah Pampico has had a state championship in any sport, from what I read. It is. You're uh, right. You're right. And and the, the ladies pulled it off, and uh, and I was so proud of them. I'm glad they came up to the state house, and they should be honored. It's something they will never forget. The win, and and you know the, the fellowship and the friendships they make. They'll be sitting there like you are, thinking about that couple times you got a touchdown or you you did something great on a team. I'm so proud of them, and. That's the most important story of the day. Because that's your people, right? That's I mean, you right. You represent some of Pamplico and some of Johnson. That's right. Terry Alexander and, you know, Roger Kirby used to have them. His heart's still with them. And I think we were recruiting Jay Jordan. He was going to be part of the team, too. But they didn't quite make it over to uh, to the House. They were over on the Senate side. But uh, time ran out. We, we ended up adjourning for the day, and, and they didn't get over. But I want to tell them they're special to me. Okay. We just told um, I hope we got some listeners down there. Pulling for the hometown boys, some not so much, but but I hope uh, that's the case. Jay, anybody you want to recognize and commemorate this morning? I'm just so shocked that that's the first uh, state championship. I mean, when you have a, a generational athlete like Ken Art, well, I mean, there, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, in a regional, I, I, but, but were you suspended well, for no, a couple? No, no, of no, no. Games? I'm, I'm, gonna give, I'm gonna give you the best reason. You ready? Can, 
the Gathers family in Choppy in football and the Wilson family in Bamberg in baseball. It's hard for me to say this, but they were just flat better than I was. <laughs> I mean, the Gathers were better, and, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, they clone people. <laughs> in, in Georgetown County and Choppy High School, it's now Carver's Bay, and y'all know how good they've been. I mean, they yeah. went state. It always got a Gathers on the team. And then I played against Mookie's two brothers. Mookie went on to the Mets and was, uh, I think they even retired his jersey with the New York Mets, but Philip and John played baseball for Bamberg when I played baseball for Hannah Pamplico, and we ran into a buzzsaw with Choppy and a buzzsaw with um with the Wilson brothers, and, you know, at times you tip your hat and say, hey, this ain't as good as those guys are. Uh, I, I want to stay here for a second. I mean, we'll get to Columbia, and we'll get to the constitutional carry. You guys have been celebrities this week. I'm proud of you. Uh, yeah, you're making some posters around <laughs> around town. I want Mike to get here, and we'll kind of vibe, because he's been a celebrity as well. And some of these, um, was it an action, uh, some sort of, some, uh, it's a guns rights group, kind of an extreme guns rights group, but I want to get to that in a second. Um Jay, what, what, I mean, three stories yesterday, and I want to get kind of a brief take on your, you've got the, the Putin interview and I, it's two hours and I didn't watch it all. I will eventually watch it all. It's fascinating. I mean, it really and truly is fascinating. You've got the Supreme court hearing about the Colorado election situation. And then you've got a special counsel report drop saying that Joe Biden committed a crime, but I'm not sure he's competent to stay in trial. And that's the president of the United States. You're, I mean, you're, you're a politico. You're elected official. What do you make of those three stories? So I haven't watched the Putin interview yet. It's on my to-do list. I've heard, you know, everybody's talked about it, and um, so I'm, I'm interested to watch that. Um, the to me, the most interesting story is the Biden report. Um, the fact that we have a third party who has investigated and and been through the all the documents in this um, that says what we've all felt and thought over the last couple of years, which is there's cognitive failure here and there's concern. Um, but what gets totally lost in the, in the shuffle of this is the, the documents the, that he was holding on to illegally. And what gets forgotten in this process was basically, this is the same cr- criminal act supposedly that uh, Donald Trump had his door kicked down under the cover of darkness by federal authorities. Um, to me, the hypocrisy in that. And I get it. There's a lot going on within that story with the the, the um, cognitive issues alone, and then the other issues you bring up. But we've totally just ran by this house on fire, so to speak, and so that's no big deal. In the fact that not that long ago we we kicked in a pr- former president's door essentially with blue lights in the driveway because he did the very same thing that this man's apparently done. Philip, the special counsel says he knowingly. And willfully disobeyed the law. I mean, that, that's that's what the council report. But it also says that they don't believe. Um, I mean, he committed a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness and cognitive stability that we don't believe he possesses. That should freak us all out, shouldn't it, Lou? You know, it, it sounds like the press has turned on him now, and because they're reporting things like this now, and and you can say. Just like you heard from the caller today, and I've been saying for months and months, they're not going to run that clown. He He's a buffoon now. He wasn't very smart before, but he's just lost it now. I hate it at old age. I wonder if he's going to hang around so long we start feeling sorry for him. And that's a sad state of, of American politics. But it, but it really, I mean, it, it adds credibility to the argument you've made for a year. I mean, you, you always said you don't think he'll end up being the nominee. 
but but let let's play this out. Mike's with us now. Good morning, sir. But 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 let's let's play this out. What in what way, shape, or form do they get rid of him? I think at the convention. I think they let him just run through you know the primaries, and then at the convention he's going to and reveal how in, unable he is. I think I think they're going to talk him into getting out because I think that's what it's going to take. He's just going to have to walk away. That way there's no hard feelings anymore. No one's to blame. They were hoping we'd take him out. And the Republicans have just been picking on him. They hadn't been taking him out. They're not to that. And they don't need to take him out. They want to run against Joe. So they would like somebody else to so so they can elect from the convention. That's uh, August. And so I, that's when I expect to see the, the changeover. And then that candidate won't have been vetted. You won't be able to go through all that. Press won't have time. It'll be run him up to the top of the flagpole, and and all the Democrats will jump on him. But they they had what a hundred thousand people turn out, one hundred thirty thousand people turn out in the whole state. Which of course that leaves a few that could go vote for Nikki now. And I think your theory there is, yeah, I think Nikki will do a little better than expected. But somebody 20, told so somebody, I'll interrupt. Somebody told me yesterday this is one time your gut's lying to you. Well. Talk I, something your, tells me that, that it's going to be a little closer. Your favorite pollster said that Nikki could have as much as 25% of her vote come from the Democrat Party. And that gets it closer. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about it. But I do realize, Mike, now, um, good morning, sir. Good morning. I, I do realize now why I'm sensing that Trump is not advertising <clears throat> at all in South Carolina. I mean, they're not spending a single dollar in radio or television ads in South Carolina. And it gives you a sensation. I mean, you turn on the TV, turn on the radio. There's a Nikki Haley commercial. Nikki, you guys have done this. I mean, it can get intimidating. I mean, it really can, especially when your opponent comes out with a good ad. And I'm like, oh, I am. I mean, that's good, man. I mean, I really, you know, that kind of freaks me out as good as it is. And I think Haley being younger, there, there's a generational effect there. But, Mike, I want to go back. Uh, you live in a world of liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, but we don't bump into cognitively unable at times. And I believe that very serious people question whether Joe Biden has the cognitive stability or capacity to do a really hard job. And he's not running a car wash. With all due respect to people who run car washes, he has the codes to the largest nuclear armament in the history of mankind. Yeah, I think it goes to the polarization, though, Ken, uh, within our politics. I've heard so many people say, yeah, I know he probably shouldn't be there, but... He's better than Trump. Well, slow down and repeat that sentence again. He he probably shouldn't be there, but he's better than Trump. You have such animus toward Donald Trump that you'd rather have a man who doesn't know which way to go off the stage. He's not sure what country is what country. He's not sure who's even talking, and that's the, the choice you're going to make. I, I candidly wish people would, would set the partisan labels aside and say, would you let Joe Biden run your personal finances? Forget what you align with politically. Would you let him balance your checkbook? And if you wouldn't let him run your household or maybe even take your kids to school because he might get lost, are you going to allow him to run our government? That's the real world application, Jay. Would you let Joe Biden drive your kids to school every morning for a week? I and I think the majority, I mean, I think the majority of Americans would say no. I, I, I think he's in that bad a shape. I think it'd be better off for my kids to drive him to school than uh, the other way around. But after no. he smells them, he'd no. get lost. But, 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 but there, there is a humanity here. I mean, we're all. I think we're all decent people. There's some sadness in watching an old man being forced to do a job that he's obviously incapable of. So there, there's absolutely a degree of sadness to this. But let me let, let's back up a second. 
couple things. Number one, um, is is it is he going to be the nominee? Maybe, um, but I've learned this over over um, many years now. The, some of the best predictors of what's going to happen in the future are the gamblers, and they've said for a very long time there is a significantly high percentage when you look at the the wagering that he won't be the nominee. I think it was as much as thirty percent mm-hmm. that Joe Biden will not be the Democrat nominee, which is a pretty high percentage based on him being the current president of the United States. And then the second thing. Um, don't forget, there are two ways to get someone to do what you want to do. There's the carrot and the stick. And from what I'm seeing, the Democrats even are turning up the heat over the last six, nine, 12 months on the Hunter Biden issue. So if, if this is going to work, if this is going to come to fruition, kind of like what Philip said, I think it's going to have to be a, all right, we'll let you off the hook. You go on down the road. Your family is secure. You don't have to worry about that. That's the path forward for you to have safety and security and everybody's happy, and we can put a, our Democrat in the White House, and this all works out. So, uh, financial safety and security is always an attractive uh, proposition, and 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 you know, livelihood in the sense of not being in not, people not being in prison. Correct, correct. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Wesley in Clover, you are on with the delegation. Hello, are you there? Maybe yeah, not. Sorry. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, yep, you're on. Okay. Um, So my question is, how in the world can we continue to let him, quote, lead our country in the meantime, like August? I mean, how much more is going to happen around the world between now and August? I I mean, I'm sure they're going to run Michelle Obama. I don't even care. My bigger concern is the country right now. And and we already know he's not leading it. But wow. I mean, what do you guys think of that? Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, the, the, the election was held. Some have questioned about the legitimacy or not of the election. He was sworn in as president of the United States. I mean, that's where we are. I mean, I do think it's dangerous to have a guy mentally unstable as president, cognitively um, and regressing as, as fast as he is. But he's the president, Phil. You know, we saw something in this last bill they were trying to pass, Ukraine money. Israel money, and you heard it, Taiwan money. So what's coming next? I think they come after Taiwan before presidential election. While they got the weakest president, their only theory is so crazy you might push the button. That's not a crazy theory, and it seems like the crazier the theory, the more likely it is uh, to come true. we got a call, but let's take a break. Hang on, caller. I mean, callers have become impatient. I mean, that, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're doing the best we can How to get you they have stuff to do in lives I mean, no, of their I, own. I get that. I mean, it, but, but if you've only got 30 seconds to hold on, go do your thing and come back and call. I mean, we're trying to do the best we can of expediting callers' opinions and questions, but I got a lot to say. Take a break. Back in a few. Oh, my God. Oh, my. <laughs> there it is. I like it. Yeah, these humble servants, they want their own theme music. Go ahead. And they get their own theme music. Okay, James Bond. <laughs> J. Jordan, music. you ready? Yeah. Is your is your is your Jaguar in the in the parking lot? My Chevy okay. is out there. <laughs> Good to your your Chevrolet, an American James Bond. You're sitting beside a Ford dealer, so let's. Yeah. Be He's careful. got a Chevy dealership too. <laughs> okay. Good deal. Good deal. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim and Florence, you are on with the delegation. Philip is mad now. Look at his face. <laughs> Philip said, "I." He did. He did look. He was the only guy with a theme song, and now he's not. Not anymore. I thought it was going to be go away. Don't leave. Stop. Stop. Josh, grab Philip. Grab Philip. We'll give you another theme song. We'll give you two theme songs. Public service. Public service. Jim, are you there? 
Yeah, well, you know, when I think of Philip, I think of Rifleman, you know. And, and, and all, yeah. There you go. So, so with everything going on in the border, we constantly hear about, um, you know, the governor sending National Guard units and uh, troopers, but we also <clears> hear the term uh, State Guard and um, units. We have a State Guard here. Obviously, you all are well aware of it. But um, with everything going on in D.C., with the anti-federalism movement up there, um, is it time that we start investing more in our state guard here to prepare prepare for situations like what we're seeing in Texas that may occur here? It's not a different, same theme, but something different that could occur here. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, I'll start with you. You've got a history in law enforcement. So the National Guard is deployed in storms and hurricanes and and hardly ever in civil unrest. But we do live in a very chaotic political time. Is it time to consider whether or not the Guard has enough assets to deal with civil unrest? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Uh, the State Guard is under the Adjutant General's Department for the state, and I'm a major in the Joint Services Detachment, which is another branch of the State Guard. Um, so I've got quite a bit of familiarity with it. It's a great question. The biggest challenge you'd have is that the State Guard is unarmed except for the provost marshal detail within the State Guard. So they're wonderful in responding in the first 72 hours for a flood, for a hurricane, for any major natural disaster especially the pods, the, the operational detachment centers where people can go pick up food and water. Um, and then the National Guard comes in after the first 72 hours. And the State Guard, they've got a wonderful uh, water rescue unit, both high line and low line and swift water and a diving team. Uh, I think the biggest challenge that the State Guard would run into is if they are forced or asked to respond um, to unrest to the point where they need to be armed. The Provost Marshal Detachment is such a small unit of that they wouldn't be armed and the rest of the state guard isn't trained. Um, same with the joint services detachment. Um, when I say trained, they're not armed, they are trained, but they're not armed and the JSD is not armed either. So if it got to the point where uh, there was a need to bring up arms, uh, the state guard would be uh, largely ineffective with the exception of the provost marshal. Special agent bond. <laughs> you know, it, it really is a, a good question. And he answers. <laughs> he actually I, answers I, to special agent. I bond. knew you weren't talking to these guys. <laughs> um, so it really is a good question because it, it brings up the the question under that question is, do we need to reevaluate? Mike just gave you a great description of what happens and what the responsibilities of those groups are. So my question, the question becomes, is it time for us to reevaluate the responsibilities? Are we up to date based on the current climate and the responsibilities we, we give those units? Should do we, we know the answer to that? Uh, you know, I think... That's the question we should always be asking in government. We ask it, you know, Jim calls a lot and asks about judicial reform. We, we, and I've always said we need to be constantly looking at things like that to say, are we doing it right? Is there not a better way to do it? Um, and if so, let's change it and do the better way. And this is a perfect example of that. We haven't looked at this in decades of, of the function and utility of these groups. And the, the world around us changes over decades, over years, not just decades. And so it's time to reevaluate. Are, are we maximizing the use of these groups? It's an interesting question. Representative Josie Wales, what say you? <laughs> Hook up the ponies and let's go to Texas. <laughs> we'll take the State Guard and National Guard. Help them out with all we have. You know, we really haven't funded the State Guard much. I, I can remember uh, a couple of years ago, I think we funded some renovation of a basically a pitiful building they were in. But I don't think uh, they're not actually a state agency. I think so. It it's kind of a weird. But it's state funded, correct? Yeah, 
but it's 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 not like a state agency. So uh, it's always been without being a state agency, you don't get the uh, attention that you deserve. Could they do a better job of letting Mike? This would be for you. Could the guard do a better job of letting the general assembly know? financially how they could aid and assist if, if as jay says this is kind of a moving target could they do a better job of engaging the general assembly yeah i'd say that the major major general van mccarty who's the adjutant general for our state uh he's fantastic i mean he runs the air national guard the army national guard south carolina emergency management the state guard and then the joint services detachment those are the five organizations underneath him and Major General McCarty, when he does his budget request, which I think was done what, last week or the week before, uh, it's really predicated on what the expectation is. What does the state want from those five different departments? So I think if the state and the General Assembly and the governor said, General McCarty, we'd like the state guard to be ready to not just respond to natural disasters and hurricanes, and you all do a great job there, but if we get an influx of illegal aliens, we want you to be able to respond to that. And if they get violent, as they did in New York City, we need you to be able to respond to that. So expand the provost marshal detachment. We want you to be able to, to respond with arms as well. I think he'd be able to ask for that. Because I've learned this in my time in Columbia. If you ask for money, sometimes you receive, sometimes you don't. If you don't ask for money, you never receive. <laughs> and that's just the way uh, the ball bounces. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Florence, you are on with the delegation. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, being Republican, I don't have a question out of the blue. I have a question out of the red. <laughs> and um, my daughter is a student, a straight-A student at the governor's school. So the first thing I want to do is really thank you guys for all your support and creation of the governor's schools, especially the one in Hartsville where she's participating. She's really, she's really thriving there. And her interests are in the area of uh, politics and political policy. She's on the debate team, and she's, she's on mock trial. And she has an interest uh, in, in pursuing a career in politics. And um, I, I want to balance my, um, my, my need to be a proud father and my respect for how busy you guys are. But she wanted to do an internship in Washington this, this summer, and she needs a couple letters of recommendation. Uh, she has one from Dr. Carter, and I'm wondering if one of you gentlemen might be willing to meet with her, look at her resume, and, and maybe if you felt genuinely supportive, maybe be willing to give her a letter. Um, you don't have to answer on the phone. I don't want to put you on the spot, but Josh has my number, and if that would be something one of you three gentlemen would consider, I'd love to, you know, get her to meet up with you and talk to you guys or show you her paperwork and, and maybe get your support for her to go work in, in politics in Washington for the summer. Thank, Thank you, Joe. So Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate the call. I'd be happy to do that, but she's going to have to make a promise that if she ever moves to Florence, she moves into Jay Jordan's district. <laughs> Why is that Jay Jordan's district? Because I don't want her running against me. She sounds pretty good. <laughs> there's a good answer there. there. There's a very, very good answer there. Um, is there another call? Yeah, we have Bobby. But you don't mind doing that. I mean, no, I, I all three of you do. I think we'd all do it. Yeah, yeah sure you would. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And this is a full-service radio show. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we're doing the people's work and God's work. That's right. Uh, Fulfilling dreams. Bobby and Florence, you're on with the delegation. Hey, uh, guys, I want to ask you a question about the gun law. Can I ask that now? I know you haven't got to it yet. Yeah, all these guys made the news. I mean, they've all been posterized on some of their um, – that they've got sideways with one of the real, real, real aggressive – Second Amendment um, supporters, but have at it, Bobby. Um, 
Okay, well, my job takes me to Columbia once or twice a week, and uh, when I get out of the 95.3 listening area around Bishopville, for whatever reason, um, I don't want you to think I'm a trader, but I do pick up another uh, local radio station in Columbia as I'm going in. And uh, they have Leon, Sheriff uh, Lott, uh, they have him on the show, I think, once a, a month. People call in and ask questions just like we're doing now. And so they asked the question. Well, one, one caller actually called in and complained, called you guys morons pretty much for passing the bill. And uh, their main concern was people not having to have a permit and not, not a, I guess, training was the main thing. And, and uh, Sheriff Lott, he didn't really jump on board with this guy, but he did voice his concern about no training. And he said, uh, you know, having 18-year-olds out there carrying guns with no training, it really concerns him. And I don't know a whole lot about him. I know he's a Democrat. Um, but it does kind of concern me whenever law enforcement's concerned, not not myself, you know, just me. But when I hear law enforcement voicing their concerns, it kind of concerns me. Can you all talk to that? Bobby, let's do this. Let's take a break. It's unfair to ask these guys to do this in two minutes. I want to have a segment about that. And I think it's funny that all three had – Cartoons. Yeah, all three were painted I, in a I, circle. I, I received an, I guess, an unsolicited text from an unknown number had Jay's picture in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah something I'm supposed to tell I my saw, representative. George. I saw all three. <laughs> all, all three were, were lampooned a bit. I have, um, did he have this his week. tuxedo on? His Bond tuxedo. Let, let, let's take a break. It's a serious <laughs> subject. I want to kind of delve into it on the other side. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We have three distinguished public servants that want their own theme music and nicknames, and um, and we accommodate to keep sure. these guys coming in in the studio. I want to give them a little cover here, um, and I'm not doing this so they'll come back next Friday. I think they deserve this. Somebody texted me last week during your appearance here and said, "How can those guys defend somebody owning a gun but not being old enough to drink liquor?" The Constitution doesn't say you can drink liquor. The Constitution says the right to own firearms shall not be infringed upon. And if a public official is honestly doing their job, they're doing it in concert and consideration of the Constitution. I understand the theoretical argument you're making. I respect that theoretical argument. But these guys are trying to make determinations on safety and and law enforcement betterment. But they've also got to consider the constitutionality or not of what they're doing. Is that a fair representation, Jake? Oh, that's absolutely correct. And and don't forget, I've learned this over my years in Columbia. You know, we make laws for the people that abide by the laws. And, and there's never been a better example than the Second Amendment when, when it comes to that. The bad guy who's going to break into your house, who's going to rob you, he doesn't care what restrictions we put on owning a firearm. He's going to find an illegal way to get a weapon of some sort and then use it against you. Um, so, you know, we put these laws on the books. We're basically creating burdens. Uh, on law-abiding people that are trying to do it the right way and, and setting traps for them to break the law. So I've become, much uh, much like my friends here, very much a strong believer in what that Constitution says is exactly what it says on the on, – what it means is exactly what it says and that you have a right uh, to by way of the Second Amendment to own a firearm. And, and Philip, speed limits, drinking ages, none of those are mentioned in the Constitution. Every decision you make regarding – gun ownership, you have to do considering that right shall not be infringed upon. It's their exact words. It is, and right now, South Carolina is infringing upon the U.S. Constitution, period. That's it. That's what we're doing. We've been doing that. We've made it against the law. 
to do certain things about carrying a gun. And we've got to open the doors back up. We have to respect shall not be infringed. And, you know, the House passed a, a good bill. The Senate kind of changed a few words in it that, that made it uh, not palatable for all. We're going to send it back, we hope. Next week we're going to send it back to them and say, no, we want a strict, straight-up, clean bill, constitutional carry. We hope they can find the votes to do it. It's an election year. There's going to be pressure. We know our good Senator Mike Rickenball is with a good, clean bill. We know that. And, and listen, y'all put the pressure on other senators. Start screaming now because the more pressure they feel, the more they'll have to get back to, to obeying the Constitution. And, and, Mike, that's the struggle. The purest amongst us want absolutely no, no abilities for anybody to not own a gun. You've got to consider how to keep people safe. And there are people who don't need to own guns. That's a complicated political ordeal. It is a challenge, but I think Jay, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Jay brings up the uh, such a salient point, is that the laws that we pass are going to be considered by law-abiding citizens. But if you read any newspaper, go to any TV station, pull up your Facebook or social media account, it's the criminals that are the ones inflicting harm on society. They don't follow the laws. They don't care. They don't ever look up and say, well, you know what? I was going to go do this today, but doggone it, that's prohibited by this law, by section blah, blah, blah. They don't care. So the fact that law enforcement's got a really tough job, but they can't be everywhere, and they're wonderful at responding in minutes when seconds count, I think the founding fathers realized that our right to bear arms is important not just to provide protection for against invading countries, but also to keep your family safe and your community safe. And, and that's what the Constitution says. And as a constitutionalist, that's what we did. Somebody on the phone? Let's go there. Cecil in Manning. Hello, you are on with the delegation. Yes, sir. Good morning, fellas. How y'all? Hey, Good great. Morning. I got a question this morning, though, and it's about squatting. And uh, what are we going to do to change the law so we don't have the problem like Georgia's having? down there where they can just stay in your house for a month or two months where we can get them out, you know, instantaneously uh, because they break into the law. I mean, they broke into your house. I thought you were talking about squatting with the trucks. Yeah, that wasn't it, huh? back yeah. into the truck sitting so low to the ground. I mean, COVID, during some of the COVID federal legislation, they made it almost impossible to get someone to move out of a home they're not paying the lease. Some of them are behind, they're delinquent, they're not paying, they've got no intent to pay. By definition, they're squatting. I mean, at some point in time, um, being behind on the rent becomes squatting in a property you don't own. Um, I mean, I got to believe free business guys believe that there's got to be some resolution if that's indeed a situation that COVID created. Have we had that problem much in South Carolina? I, I, I don't it. know that. I mean, I, I, I know some it. of the federal legislation allowed, disallowed landlords from being able to evict people by legislation prior and lawfulness prior to, to the pandemic. I mean, uh, that's changed. We'll try to get, we'll get some more clarity on that. I mean, uh, I know you guys want to give good answers, good questions. Uh, I want to end this. Um, Josh, let's go to 54, if you don't mind. We'll take a hard break, long, hard break, top of the hour. I want to, uh, we're, we're, what, three weeks out from a primary? I mean, my gut tells me one thing. The data says um, something else. Is there any buzz in Columbia about a former governor running against a, um, a unique, disrupting political animal. I mean, I see where some of the House members have endorsed Trump. A few have endorsed Nikki. 
Um, Jay, is it any different or is it business as usual despite having, you know, the first in the South presidential primary? It's been pretty focused on issues to this point. Now, I fully expect I think you're going to see both President Trump and Governor Haley be more in South Carolina. I know uh, President Trump's coming to, I think, Conway Saturday. I think they'll both probably be making the rounds over the next couple of weeks. So I anticipate the buzz, as you call it, to, to fire up a little bit more so coming. Um, it, it is interesting to me, and we've said this before, um, former governor of South Carolina, and she trails uh, as far as the endorsements. In my estimation, overwhelmingly within the House, I'm not sure about the Senate. Of course, the governor, we Why know where he that? stands. Just a representation of where the voters are? That, that's part of it for sure. I mean, you can't ignore that. Um, but I also think it's a unique situation. We have someone who's been president of the United States. We've, we haven't had that in the modern era. We know exactly what uh, his qualifications, you know, you love him, hate him. You know exactly what you're getting with, with Donald Trump. Uh, and I think many people believe he's the most prepared candidate to lead the country based on his track record running the country. Philip? Well, we filled the steps of the Capitol with people who were supporting it. And it was, you know, public officials, a lot of state house members were out there. And uh, you can tell Trump's got all the momentum. It's his to lose. And, and I think the only possible thing is some, some crazy, uh, something coming out of the courts that could ever stop him. And I don't blame Nikki for, for waiting around and hoping that happens. That's, that's her right to do. And she's being funded to stay in. So it, it, we're going to, Probably embarrass her in her home state, but she still probably won't get out. And, Mike, it's not loyalty or not. It's not, you know, are we homers or not. I I think both these guys hit it. It's the fact that there's this one guy that we believe at this moment in time is uniquely qualified to confront some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and it's looking at a, a, a current president in the Oval Office who gets lost and has diminished faculties. The majority of Republicans, I think the majority of Americans will find once a change. And I asked a, a Nikki supporter, like, why is she staying in? And and they gave me, I think, a pretty clear assessment. They said, look, the establishment wants to remove Trump. The Democrats want to remove him. The establishment wants to remove him. He's not out of the woods yet. And it doesn't mean it's going to be a bullet. doesn't mean it couldn't be a, a, a verdict. But he's not out of the woods and if he does have to remove himself from the process, she's the last person standing. And he said, this per, a couple of people said, and remember, she's the one person who was running without a job. DeSantis can go run Florida. Tim Scott can go be a senator. If we go on down the line, everybody's got a job. She doesn't. So what else does she have to do? Play the odds in her assessment. If he doesn't make it, She's the one person standing, but she's got time to kill right now and other people's money. But I think we're going to find, hopefully, after the the South Carolina primary and Super Tuesday, that the Republicans consolidate. But, Jay, my concern for all three of you, you, you're good friends of mine. I think you do a great job representing this area in Columbia. My concern for the Republicans that I want to stay in control is a a, a kind of a self-convincing that the Trump voters are here to stay. And, and I, I'm afraid that we're overestimating the commitment they have to the party. It's more about the guy. Now, can there be a transition? Can Trump voters be convinced that this party more aligns with their values and your views? And we need you to be on board whether he's on, on, the, on the ballot or not. But I am deeply concerned that we're underestimating the Trump voter all of a sudden flipping a switch and he's a Republican voter. 
I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think to say that the America First you know, voter is, is a, and is a Republican is not a correct statement. Um, having said that, I think you can take away the Trump from the Trump voter, and it, they're, they're voters. So how do you convince voters is you, you do the right thing. You, pr- you put forward the best policy you can. Um, in South Carolina, I would argue that's putting forward reasonable, conservative, principled policy. Uh, as we have in South Carolina for a while now, you invest in infrastructure, you invest in the th- in law enforcement, you invest in those things that people can look at and say that's good use of taxpayer dollars, and that's how you convince every voter to vote for you. Philip, got a minute? Well, in Nevada, they pretty well told you that none of the above was better than Nikki, right? <laughs> so if that if that's any indication of who sits home, if Nikki were on the ticket. Then I don't know. I think they're counting everybody who's going to show up for Trump's going to switch over to Nikki, and it won't happen like that. They'll stay home. Yep. And there's a. I mean, are you ready? One profane word for the hour. There's an ass of them. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, there is a bunch of them. And our good friend Robert Cahaley says there's more today than there's ever been. Four and a half million um, low propensity voters, non-college educated whites in about six or seven states that haven't voted for Trump yet. He believes they will in this election, and those guys aren't Republicans. I think they could be won over to Jay's point, but they ain't there yet. Enjoy it now. we got another hour. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I don't know what a local radio show's quota is on dignitaries, but I think we've exceeded our quota, Rev. I think we've yeah, absolutely exceeded. I think so. Across from me in the last hour was three members of the General Assembly. Across from me today is two esteemed members of law enforcement of the mayor of Florence. Um, we coordinated this meeting earlier this week because the mayor of Florence is leading, along with city and county law enforcement, c- kind of an initiative to address some of the crime issues that are rampant across across the country. If crimes rampant across the country, you got to believe Florence is a part of the country, so it's going to have to be aggressive in addressing that. So we have with us Mayor Teresa Irving Meyer, um, city police chief. Alan Heidler and Florence County Sheriff T.J. Joy are all with us this morning. Mayor, I'll hand it off to you. And I don't have a specific question other than what was the impetus? What was the genesis? Why did we decide that now's the time to collaborate and try to address some of the crime issues, not just in the in the city, but, but the entire county? Well, it just didn't start now. I believe that in 2020 when Sheriff T.J. Joy came aboard and myself as mayor, we, along with our chief, came together, and we've been working together ever since because we understand that we all want to be safe. And how safer can we be besides for bringing all the units of Florence together, Florence City and Florence County? So we've been doing this for over four years now, and I definitely want these gentlemen to take a, talk about the task force they put together to lead us to be safe. So it's been ongoing. It hadn't just stopped, started now. But what people don't understand, because they have been so effective in what they're doing and working together so good, the citizens didn't realize this effort was even going on, but they realized there's been a change. There's been more of an appearance of the sheriff and the Florence City Department out in the public working together, solving and preventing crimes. So I want to come on this morning to let them know how important all of our law enforcement agencies are. And I fully support them because they are here to protect and to serve us as citizens. Chief Hyler, the mayor lives in a political world. I once lived in a political world. Um, it's blue, it's red, it's conservative, it's liberal, it's big government, it's small government, it's taxes and, and how much. 
you you live in a where the rubber meets the road sort of world, and I doubt very seriously if someone reports a crime, you say, okay, is it a Republican? Is it a Democrat? Is it in a blue district? Is it in a in a red district? Um, I mean, just speak to having the political support, both Republican and Democrat, and and you being able to better do your job. Oh, it's tremendous. You know, we Florence City and in Florence County have not been immune to the. Uh, a rise in violent crime, and especially over 2001 and 2002. And uh, the sheriff will talk in a minute about the uh, successes that uh, that we've had with our task force. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's it's tremendous. Uh, from going from uh, working on our own uh, as separate agencies uh, in in our different jurisdictions uh, to pooling together at a time when law enforcement has seen uh, numerous losses in, in, in uh, personnel, uh, pooling our time and our resources and our officers together and, uh, and really taking the fight to the criminal uh, and, and having the back backing of, of uh, our mayor and uh, certainly the sheriff is, is tremendous for the city of Florence. Sheriff Joy, <clears throat> I supported your campaign. Uh, I have no regrets. You've done everything you told me publicly and privately that you would try to do but but we're not going to we're not going to stop a crime from ever happening in our county. I mean that that's just not realistic. It's not possible. It's not a, achievable. But what are some of the things that you have tried to dedicate the sheriff's department to make sure the citizenry of Florence are safe? Working with the city, and and we're, we're blessed to have the mayor with her support because we couldn't do this without a joint task force. And when the mayor met with us and we discussed it. We discussed the areas that the citizens were, they were in fear. They were concerned about what was happening in the neighborhood. And Chief Heidler and the mayor and I, we all sat down and Chief Heidler said, look, we'll do this task force. So we've been in, what, 17, 22 months is what I've got, but I think the math, I I don't know if that's correct, but 17 to 22 months um, that we've been working together in, in the the task that I had at hand as as the sheriff of this county, there there's if it happens in the city, that's still Florence County, and that's that's the task we had to change the culture before it could be a foot over the line. Oh no, that's in the city. I don't have to worry. We all we we're going to answer what we have to answer to all the citizens of Florence County, eight hundred four square miles. But if it happens in the city, that's my problem as well. And that's, that's what we do. We work together. And I, I'm so grateful to have a mayor with the support that we have and the Chief Hyther, which Chief Hyther and I go back to the early 80s working together. So we very uh, close friends, but it, the relationship is there to do a job. We have to work together. Mayor, at times in certain places around the country, the law enforcement element questions whether the political apparatus has its back or not. I mean, that's happened all over America. How important is it for you and your council, and I guess Chairman Schofield and his council, how important is it for you to not just support law enforcement, but let them know that whatever they need, you're, you're ready, willing, and able? First, I would like to say that before anything, I'm a citizen, and I believe all of us as citizens want a safe environment. So that's number one. And in order to have a safe environment, those who are working in the public, They need our support. I believe that citizens and law enforcement need to work together. 
because law enforcement need the information that citizens have in order to, yes, prevent crimes. Because you can tell them something in advance and they can kind of go down the line. Some crimes can be prevented. And then when it comes to solving a crime, they still need the citizens who can be the witness for us. So you can't separate based on whether or not you're in, in political service or not. Citizens should support our law enforcement in order to keep everyone safe. That's why it's so important. Chief Howler, I want to get with you and Sheriff Joy and, and, and kind of walk through this because, I mean, TJ's made me more aware of this than, than I was to begin with. I mean, a criminal is a criminal is a criminal. A crime is a crime is a crime. But, but sometimes you got to dig a little deeper and find out how we got there. And I'm talking about addiction. I'm talking about mental illness. I'm talking about the breakdown of the family. I'm talking about homelessness. Kind of walk me through, I don't want to say the evolution of becoming a criminal, but there is an issue with mental illness. There is an issue with addiction. There is an issue with homelessness. <clears throat> and very often those people end up committing violent crimes. Oh, yeah, and you're absolutely correct on that. And, and you know, we work closely with uh, Circle Park Behavioral Health in regards to drug issues and things like that. Mental health seems to have really exploded uh, folks who have uh, are in mental health crisis. Um, over, in, in my time as in law enforcement, it's, it, it, it's, it's epic proportions right now. Um, we work closely with uh, PD Mental Health. Uh, in fact, uh, they are working on a, uh, a pilot project with us to embed a uh, mental health professional that will work directly with us and, and help the officers mitigate some of these people, uh, these, these instances where people are in mental health crisis and, and maybe we can uh, uh, curtail that from being a, a, a criminal violation. Um, but without that training, and, and, and we get tremendous training, but we're not mental health professionals. Uh, so, you know, it, it can escalate into a, a criminal situation real quick, and we're trying to do all that we can <clears throat> to, uh, to, to, to put all the thought we can into the fact that this individual is, is suffering from uh, mental health crisis. And that's, some of this isn't, isn't genetic. So, uh, uh, some people are not born with it. Some of it's induced by, by uh, uh, their, their drug culture and their, their drug behavior, past drug behavior. And, and, and they suffer from mental illness from that and, too. And, and I think and, that's some of the reason why we've seen the escalation. And TJ, I'm not saying, hey, you're not responsible for what you do, but it's complicated. I mean, it's very complex. You've got an addict who is experiencing some degree of mental illness. Instead of buying their medicine, they buy a drug. I mean, you've told me stories about the mentally ill not taking their medicine as they should and becoming a criminal threat. That's correct. It, it Again, it's a big issue. The fentanyl is uh, it's taking over, and when you say taking over, to I mean, kind of your one of your employees, Mike Nunn, came on a radio show years ago and said heroin and fentanyl. And I'm thinking to myself, he's trying to freak people out. There's no heroin or fentanyl. I mean, that's in New York and that's in Chicago, and that's that, that doesn't happen here in Florence County. It's rampant in the sheriff. It is indeed. We we average, we were averaging uh, five deaths a week at one time since we implemented this task force and we've had more narcotics doing stuff, especially Lucas street. That's a tough, that's a very, very bad area for that. We get them from Robinson County, North Carolina. We get them from Darlington. We get them from Hemingway all over coming to the, the, these hotels, motels, whatever you want to call them. And we've, we have actually, shut two down, and I'm going to continue to try to work on those efforts with the code enforcement and stuff. But it, it's bad. It, You know, as I, I said, 
several months back when we came on the show, we got enough fentanyl in one raid out there to kill the whole west side of Florence. It's it's and the borders open, and we we need to do a better job controlling that from that end. But that's way above my pay grade. But we're gonna continue to work these areas that we have trouble in. And and yes, it's fentanyl is is a deadly, and it's it's hit this county as well as other counties. Chief, how important is it? I mean, I, I guess there's good old-fashioned police work on both sides, county and city, but then there is the gathering of data, the sharing of data, the hot spots of criminal activity. How important is it that the city and county not just collaborate on the good old, you know, bootstrap police work required to get the bad guys off the street, but the data and analytics that create a better chance of you apprehending some of these suspects? Yeah, and, and certainly we rely a lot on data because it shows us, uh, you know, the, the hot spots for areas where, where, where things are taking place, especially violent crime. And, of course, uh, the sheriff here has talked about the, stist- the statistics he's brought with us and the, and the uh, uh, success that we've had from that. And some of that has been based upon the fact that we have pinpointed specific areas where we're seeing uh, uh, this type of activity take, take place. In addition to that, it gives us the opportunity to isolate some of those areas and and uh, uh we're uh, both of us are, are in the process of uh obtaining uh, uh license plate breeding cameras uh that we're going to put up uh around the city around the county around the city um and and some of those areas that, that we've looked at are, are hot spots for for serious crime and and and, in and, Florence, t- and, and and it's because of the statistics that we're using to, to and, and tj it does give you a better job i mean you don't predict the crime but it does increase the odds and likelihood that you can keep people safe. I'll do my best. Yes, that's, that's correct. And the data that we turn in, it's done on a monthly basis, reporting data, and that goes to slay into the feds, and they do an annual report. Right? We do it. We look at it, and the chief and I look at it monthly, and the areas that whoever he or the mayor or whoever citizens can say, look, this area, we're having a lot of, drug trafficking and stuff coming in, those are there. When when we get a report of such, that's where we send the units to work. Mayor, this is probably unfair, but i got to ask it anyway. Should the public be allowed to know where the dangerous places are in the county and city? You start, I mean, you start, start talking about the freedoms and liberties and, and hurting businesses and hurting areas and, and certain neighborhoods. But 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 as the mayor... And I guess this will be a good question for county council. Should our citizenry know where they're more likely to be a victim of a crime? You can actually go online and find out the crime stats for areas. And when it comes down to it, you must remember that South Carolina is one of the leaders when it comes to de- domestic violence. So anyone home can be that site. So there's no way that the public will always know where crime is occurring because a lot of crimes are familiar. It happened upon people who know each other. So the type of crimes will vary from area to area, but you can go online and look up those crime stats. And otherwise, if you want to know, serving as a realtor, we told people, go online. You can pull up the reports and see where it's at. So that information is available to citizens. But to all and everyone, regardless to where you're at, be familiar with your surroundings. Know who's around you. Because the crime can happen randomly, and you become a victim. Simple as that. Let's take a break. Will you guys stay one more segment? Okay, Let, let's take a break. I want to come back. I've got a few more questions and, um, and some conversation that I think our listeners will find interesting. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. The great Sam Walton, entrepreneur extraordinaire, once said, 
reality is not reality. Perception is reality. If I can sell a two-liter Pepsi cheaper than anybody else can, they'll believe I'm cheaper on everything. Some of the end of rows. I mean, it was genius entrepreneurship, and that's how you end up with a $200 million yacht <laughs> and billions of dollars in the uh, in the bank if you excel at, um, at capitalism and a market economy in, in America. You make tons of money, and they did. But, but I think some of that applies to the debate here, Mayor. You're, de- you're dealing with economic development, education, trying to build a better community. Some like what you do. Some don't like what you do. Uh, I like what you do sometimes. I don't like what you do sometimes. Welcome to the, to the political world. But there is a reality, and here's part of the reality. South Carolina is a fast-growing state. When someone considers where to move, where to locate a business, what, what, where to make an investment, education and crime are going to be two of the most essential questions they have to need answered. Are we making gains? Can we convince people with this collaboration that we understand crime as a problem, a serious issue, and we're going to do all we can to address it? I believe one of the things that you will see here today, we're here to address that perception. We have the stats and the numbers to show how effective we have been in addressing crime. So when it comes to perception, it's up to us to educate the public and the nation on who Florence City and County is. We are making gains and we have the proof in the numbers. So you take the numbers and you look at that. And more importantly, perception, when you can give people solid evidence of those changes, that's when you start to change minds. Because when you hear something, you know, I will say, don't believe everything you hear because some of it may be true, but some changes between the conversation. So we're here today to present the numbers to show we are being effective. Chief, everybody believes they're the most important person in the world. I mean, in, in local, and I mean this sincerely, in local government, there were a lot of questions that we had to answer, but the crime question was the most important. I mean, education, there, there's a little bit of um, ambiguity there. How good is it education? Is it worth it? Is it, is it better than this other, this other place? But crime, and I remember talking to economic development consultants, you had to convince them that you had a safe community. How do we do that? I mean, you're talking about perception, some of the um, imbalance in the statistics gatherings and, and some of the, uh, what, what dare I say, some of the partisanship right. and how they present some of the, uh, some of the stats. But, but you know how important, the two of you know how important you are to the county and city and economic development and education and families moving here. Well, are you comfortable with where we are and are you comfortable with, with how we get where we need to be? I think when you sit in the position of chief and sheriff that, that you never get comfortable. Uh, you know, we went from uh, 18 homicides in, in 2022 in the city of Florence to uh, eight last year. Tremendous reduction. A lot of that has to do with the fact of, 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 uh, of the sheriff and I uh, on this task force and, and our folks working together so closely. Uh, when, you, when you talk about perception, uh, and we alluded to this uh, during the break, but when you talk about uh, perception, uh, the FBI every year puts out a uh, crime report uh, for every area and every city and every county in the, in the uh, country. And at the bottom of that report, it indicates that uh, no one should rank because of the uh, of the way different ways that agencies report. Uh, uh, cities shouldn't be ranked against each other. Counties shouldn't be ranked against each other. However, there are organizations that come out every year and they put out these rankings, and you will see that in in, in the local media. Um, and uh, every year, Florence gets dinged pretty hard. Well, we're an agency that reports. Abs- we take reports on absolutely everything, just like the sheriff's office. You report a scratch on your car, and, and, and it's, a, it's a minor vandalism. We're taking it as a vandalism report. So there's a property crime report that maybe some other agencies might, might not do. 
Uh, but in addition, uh, the, the, the statistics uh, that the organizations that do these rankings outside of what the, uh, um, the federal government recommends, uh, they take a, a statistical area that's created by the Census Bureau. And the Census Bureau, um, in effect, you know, they look at the city of Florence for, for, for population. They look at county of Florence. But then they look at a metro area of Florence. And they draw a big line on this metro area and what they consider as metro. And I don't know how they determine what, what the Florence metro area is. Uh, but uh, they, they uh, include in the metro area Florence City, Florence County, and all of Darlington County. Every bit of it. So when these, when these uh, rankings come out, the crime is based upon that metro area of Florence. Not the city of Florence, not the county of Florence but Florence, Darlington, and Florence County together. And then everyone looks at that as, okay, you've got this huge crime rate, you're number four in the nation, but that's not the city of Florence, and we're not number four in the nation because the city of Florence is, uh, is, is a lot less because it's one-third of what's being taken in. So, And that's why, you know, that's why we really want to come on your show and we want to talk to people and, 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 and let them understand that, you know, the, it is perception, and, and, and there's folks out there that are, that are passing that information on that it is not the city of Florence. TJ, you got elected. I mean, you, you've told me a million times I'm not a politician, I'm a lawman. And you are, and, and I agree with that. But you had to run for office, had to get votes, had to get elected. But, but you inherited some uncertainty. I mean, let, let's just leave it there. You inherited some uncertainty at the Sheriff's Department. Are you comfortable with the rate of which you've addressed some of the issues that you knew you needed to address? Well, like Chief said, you're never comfortable. I've been called Nick Jr. saving because I'm never happy. To be honest with you, it's my job and the Chief's job to make people feel comfortable, but I agree with the Chief. I'm never comfortable. Never. Because crime is out there. And, I, you know, what you said earlier, we're not going to stop it altogether. We can deter it and work the areas that we, the people, feel threatened or scared. You know, the numbers, you know, the mayor and I were talking in the lobby. Since this task force that we implemented as a team since August of 22, 2022 to January of this year, just the combined unit, the city and county task force, got over 295 guns. That's an average of 16 guns a month. You know, so... We're getting the guns off the street. And I don't want to sit here and say, you know, our, our numbers are down with murders tremendously, as well as the city. But I'm, I'm not going to jinx us because one day we were in a staff meeting and we were saying, man, the numbers look good. And before we left, we had a shooting. You know, and the, I, I don't like to jinx us because, but the numbers are there. We are working. And, I, and, and like I said, the support, from the mayor and the county council, what they've done for us and the mayor's support to allow us to be, you know, joining at the hip, that's strong. And it, and it before, it was always, oh, that like I said, this is the city limits. No, it doesn't matter. It's Property crime, homicide, violent crime, it doesn't matter. There's going to be collaboration acro across the lines. Mayor, how can we confront the perception is it the council's job to market Florence and explain 
while we believe the ranking, whatever it may be, is unfair and biased? You know, it's everyone's job. When you're talking about where you live, you should be promoting what's happening in your area because you can see anything on the media. But when you tell a friend and a friend tells a friend and you you speak for your your city and your county and we do, we advertise things. We show our law enforcement, we present a good visual of what the city and the county of Florence is. But we, the citizens, are the most effective marketing tool there is. And I will leave it at that. Uh, last question for the two of you, chief and sheriff. Um, I was afraid of my dad because I knew he meant what he said. And I knew there was no negotiating when he said something. That was the way it was. Does the criminal element need to be convinced that this is a different day in Florence? And we talk a lot about magistrates and bonds. And I mean, I know how frustrated both of you are. And somebody commit a, you know, a heinous crime and they're out back on the street the next day. That's got to be frustrating to a chief and and a sheriff. I mean, you do everything you can to solve a crime. You put a guy in jail, a lady in jail. Next thing you know, they're out doing it again. I'm not asking you how frustrating that is, but can we convince the criminal element that if you do this in county or city of Florence, there's going to be a significant price to pay? Yeah, I think that we've been doing that with this task force, to be honest with you. Um, And you're right. And it's my responsibility to uh, let uh, elected officials uh, know who have the uh, responsibility of, of, of making these laws and regarding bond reform and uh, and other things that allow this revolving door for criminals. But but when it, when it boils down to is it's law enforcement's responsibility to go out there and uh, protect these protect our citizens and and we do that uh, whether or not they're going to get out or not. And and uh, if we have to lock the same people up over and over again, then then that's what we're going to do. And and that's the message that we're sending out with this task force. Um, you know, you spoke to uh, specific areas in, 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 in the crime, and, and should people know about that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, they can go on and, and check those statistics in regards to that. But those, some of those areas that were really bad are not bad anymore. So uh, because we have not only uh, uh, cleaned them up, but we're staying the course and we're staying in that area. Uh, we've cleaned it up, and, and, and uh, we're not going to let them come back in. TJ, literally, there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> Uh, yes. On your side of the equation, and I think it's important that the criminal element know. And you worked hard to convince some of the law. And I'm talking about the legal side of law enforcement. That it is frustrating when you work hard to, 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 to arrest someone. You you get them incarcerated, get them off the street. They're back on the street. I mean, you don't mind me saying this. You told me personally how frustrated that can be, and um, and how demoralizing it can be for law enforcement. Absolutely, and I've been involved with being on raids and look at the person. So we just locked you up the other day. I mean, but I'm going to give you a number that I have the privilege of housing. We're at 451 inmates from the city, county, all over Florence County. So we, we are packed and we're going to continue. It's not my problem. They violate the law. We're going to give them a cot. And, you know, the food's not that bad, but it's a little chilly in there at times. But It's listen, not the real Carlton. That's right. But, I mean, you, you do the numbers, you know, 451 people. That was January. I I didn't. I talked to my jail director this morning about something else. But, you know, we're – and that's, that is within itself correction. They don't get enough praise. I mean, we, we put them in there. They got to put up with them. But is it frustrating – to let someone out, I don't care 
where, as long as we put them in jail, they off the street. That's our job. Um, again, the numbers show that when I took office, I'm going to say there was, I might quote wrong, but it's 280. It's been 400 and above since we put this task force in place, this street crime unit. And, and the numbers are there. Last question I got. For, Kennard, let me, yeah, I want to add this because I think it's important that we all realize, I always love to say, there should be no place to have criminal feel safe. No place. So, And when you have people repeatedly being released back out, the community, we don't like that either. Because when you're going through the effort of making sure that you're creating a safe environment, you're turning these people in, they're getting arrested, and then they're released again as citizens, as elected officials, we don't like it either. And my philosophy is that a criminal should not feel safe nowhere. Well, a criminal. Said, last question. I said the last one was the last one. This is actually <laughs> the last one. The mayor was talking about we're all citizens. We all have responsibility. I'm not saying I'm my brother's keeper, and I'm not saying the village race. I mean, some believe that, some don't, some at times. Anyway, how helpful can the general public be in helping both of you do your job? We depend, all, uh, you know, tremendously on, on the general public. We, uh, we need information from them. Um, you know, I get that, that uh, uh, folks don't trust the police because of the things that have happened nationally in law enforcement. But we're doing, in our areas, we're doing what we can to try and get out to the public, um, create an environment where we're transparent with everything we do uh, so that the public knows that, you know, hey, we're wearing body cameras. You got a problem with a cop, you call us and, and we'll review it. We're doing periodic reviews of everybody's body camera to make sure that they're talking to people right. We're training our officers uh, to, to be good people, just treat people with dignity and respect so that we can get that information from folks. Understand that when we tell you that, that, uh, that you can remain anonymous, you can remain anonymous. Now, you may call into central dispatch, and there's certain information they have to get from you based upon uh, their national standards for dispatching, but they're not going to give that information to us. Uh, they don't, they don't give the end. They'll, they'll call us over the radio and say, Hey, somebody wants to remain anonymous and, and, and they want to tell you about this, what's going on. Uh, in addition, we have a, developed a, a, a kind of a, uh, a secure ID, uh, for folks. Uh, and it works much like a, uh, a confidential informant type of, uh, system where if somebody knows something about a violent crime. We're able to keep that individual's, uh, information secure and, and obscure from any, anybody. Um, uh, for a period up to and including, well, up to the trial time. Uh, so uh, we started that about a year ago. And, and, TJ, the Sheriff's Department has confidential ways that people can help you enforce the law. Absolutely. You know, my cell number's out. If I won't say this, I, I remember the mayor and the chief. We had another council member. We talked to one guy that wanted to open up to us. Uh, that was at Floyd, I think mm -hmm. that's where we had it. But this guy has helped us solve 12 murders because we have a relationship with him now. And that, see something, say something. And I know the feds came out with that a while back. I can't remember the date. My chief knows all the dates in his head about everything. But to, to be honest with you, that, that meeting there, and I've told the mayor several times, that's something that just doesn't happen unless the people trust us. And this informant he'll call me two o'clock in the morning he called me one morning when a shooting happened and he was johnny on the spot i called the chief and you know it ended up being a good hit good information so it's 
It's very, very crucial, very crucial to have a relationship like Chief said. Okay. I am thankful for the three of you. Um, please keep us in the loop as to how we can help engage and, uh, and inform our listening audience. And, um, and this is not about Republican Democrat. This is not about the South Carolina primary. This is about where we live and how do we keep it safe. Thanks to all three of you. Thank you Thank for having you. us. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Brian in Florence. Hello, Brian. Been on hold for a while. We appreciate that. And you're on the air. I originally called to talk to the uh, group of guys from the state house that you have on Fridays to ask them a concealed carry question. But since they're no longer there, I'll uh, simply ask this question. If you, if you today had to choose who you think the Democrats will put in Biden's place, well, where's uh, your head at? On um, which person would be the one that they choose to go down and defeat against Trump? Thank you. Appreciate that. That's an interesting hypothetical. Um, I mean, you hear the name Michelle Obama. You hear the name Gavin Newsom. Uh, Kamala Harris is the obvious choice because she's the vice president. Um, I think you underestimate how hard it is to build a campaign and message a candidate. I mean, as bad as Biden is, this sitting like fixing you know, a leak in a, in a floor. I mean, it's, it's a lot more extravagant and complicated. Now, I don't also believe that the Democrats have been sitting on their, you know, on their behunkus waiting on nothing to happen. I think they've thought this thing through. I mean, they know the Obama acolytes have played out scenario A, B, C, and D. The problem with Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris being the vice president, the most loyal group of voters the Democrats have or African-American females. So if at the convention you play games and you jump over Kamala Harris and you nominate Michelle Obama, you could say, well, it's still an African-American female. But a Gavin Newsom, you know, somebody like that, my fear, here's what I fear. I fear the Democrats will nominate somebody like Trump. Somebody we've not thought of. Somebody unconventional. Somebody out of left field. I think there's a playbook for Trump to beat Biden. There's a playbook to beat Newsom. There's a playbook to beat um, Harris. There's a playbook to beat Obama. I'm not saying you win or not, but there's a playbook there. But what if it's Mark Cuban? I mean, how do you, well, yeah, that's a big, I mean, that's a shock to the system. I mean, that would be the radical disruption that Trump has the advantage over right now. And I think that's where the electorate are. The electorate are more inclined to embrace some sort of radical disruptor, unique disruptor, uh, and I'm making this from afar. I don't know what the Democrats are thinking about. I'm, I'm more in line with Philip now about Biden doesn't make it. I mean, I, I just believed that it would be a weekend at Bernie's for a year, and they would get him to the finish line some way, somehow. But this special counsel report, combined with the recent appearances he's made, I mean, there's just, I mean, he's a, he's a man falling apart. And it's elder abuse. I mean, it really and truly is. It's elder. From the humanistic perspective, I feel sorry for Joe Biden. And somebody who really loves the man and didn't consume with power and, and, and I guess the, the preservation of a lifestyle, I mean, they wouldn't continue to march and parade him out there because it's an embarrassment. And it's scary. I mean, it's scary. Liberals scare me enough. 
A liberal who is out of his mind is just something a country like America would never do. But we have, and we may do it again. Hmm. Let's go to the phone. Ah, oh, we got trivia. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, we got, we got about three It's Friday. Out. We got three minutes to do some um, Pepsi of Florence takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. I will say this, the aged lemon juice, and it was aged, promise you that, <laughs> came out in honked. And the, um, <laughs> Sorry. the honey, and the honey, I, I spared the bourbon, couldn't find the bourbon. Scared I couldn't drink a little bit, but rather a lot of bourbon. <laughs> it kind of rejuvenated my voice it a little your throat bit. make it through it the did. morning. I was struggling yeah. first thing, still struggling a bit, but not quite as bad. Um, Pepsi of Florence is our sponsor and partner. We do what takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. You guys are kind enough to participate. So here's the question. You ready? Not only is Super Sunday about UConn and the Lady Gamecocks playing basketball, there's also a football game. Yeah, Super Bowl. Four teams have never appeared in a single Super Bowl. Give me one of the four teams that have never played in a single Super Bowl. Super Bowl. 843-661-0937 is our number. Josh is looking at me like, Super Bowl? What is that? Uh, <laughs> is that four teams? Weekend? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't name you four teams, period. There's less than four that have not played in the Super Bowl. Let's go to the phone. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? The Braves. Nope. The Super Bowl. 843-661-0937. Hi, you're on the air. What's your guess? Hey, Detroit. You're right. The Cleveland Browns, the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Detroit Lions. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Scott Stone from Hemingway. Okay, Scott. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you calling from Williamsburg County. I go through there on my way to to Pauly's and Litchfield. Um, We'll get you back to Josh. Josh, get all the information. want to once again thank Pepsi um, for whatever reason they hang around. We're most appreciative. (laughs) I get my 16-ounce Celsius now. Um, we're out of life water, so I'm drinking some Aquafina here. But it's, um, it, it's, kept, me, it's kept the juices flowing um, today, Rev. Uh, we said it earlier. I'll say it again. A conservative political radio show host has never had a better chance to be successful. And we got a lot to chew on Monday. I mean, we'll get into the weeds. I'll listen to the entire two-hour interview of media wild man Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, the Russian president who spends about 20 minutes accounting Eastern Europe history, uh, the post-Cold War, former Soviet Union, now Russia, how he believes the U.S. turned a cold shoulder. In other words, you win the Cold War. Russia kind of wants to be embraced. Okay, it's over. We lost. Um, And America didn't do that. Uh, His belief that he doesn't think America ever wanted a big, strong country, post-Second World War II. I mean, that, that, sounds, I mean that, that would stand to reason. I would suspect that to be true. And then we've got to kind of say grace over the Supreme Court ruling eventually. I think it's already been ruled on, to be honest, if you listen to some of the debate. And we've got I am not senile. That is Biden's claim to fame. I want to be your president, and I promise I'm not senile. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.